tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make that call. And Emma is looking after this morning's programme. Coming up on the show, we'll be hearing from 12-year-old Cara Darmody with her weekly Doyle report in just a few moments' time. Ireland risks pricing itself out of business tourism. Campaign launched to stop motorists parking in disabled bays. Bertie's back. I bet you're all delighted with that. Um, Big question, should we stop referring to God as he? Uh, Dr Jim O'Shea on his new book, Emerging from the Darkness, which is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And we'll be speaking to Jim live just after 10 o'clock this morning. We're farming with uh, Katrina Morrissey and Muriel Cuddy of Marito. Uh, 8020 will be with us with our health slot uh, just after 11 as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Quick look at uh, the headlines in the newspapers today. The Irish Daily Mail, uh, their banner headline, The End of Our Father in the Lord's Prayer, a gender-neutral God, and the end of the Our Father prayer could be a step too far for parishioners. Some priests are fearing the Church of England is to explore the use of gender-neutral terms, which could see the Lord's Prayer opening up with our uh, love who art in heaven. So I wonder what do you make of that. We'll be chatting about it a little later on as well. All over the newspapers today, that great tragedy um, of the um, uh, dreadful happening, the earthquake in uh, Turkey and uh, Syria, and uh, the photographs uh, depicting despair, and indeed uh, miraculous photographs as well and uh, on the front of the mail we see a, a young infant being um, being rescued which has to be good news the Irish Times, uh, the Turkish president criticised as earthquake death toll climbs above 11,000 also on the Times today the return of former Taoiseach Bertie Hearn to the Fianna Fáil fold is appropriate given the passage of time and the forthcoming 25th anniversary of the Belfast Agreement Tánis Jimmy Hall Martin has said and again we'd love to know how you feel about that to the Irish Examiner and uh, their lead headline attacks on nurses a new low a string of racist attacks on nurses outside a busy hospital has been described as a new low by the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. Also on the examiner today, the four Cork campuses of the Munster Technological University will stay closed for the remainder of the week after an IT breach and telephone um, outage there as well. And uh, the examiner telling us that the quake toll in uh, Turkey and Syria now 12,000 as more survivors are unlikely at this uh, stage now. The paper was put to bed before we realised, in fact, that it's over 15,000, in fact, at this point. The Irish Independent, and again the front page dominated by a picture of a 20-day-old survivor who was pulled from the rubble in Turkey after that uh, powerful earthquake 
hit the region. Uh, the main story on the front of the Indo today, electricity companies are misleading hundreds of thousands of customers by claiming to supply 100% renewable power. An advertising watchdog investigation has found. And again, that story of Bertie Hearn being welcomed back into the Fianna Fáil fold. So that's uh, your headlines for today. If you want to comment on any of that, 083 311 for your text and uh, WhatsApp. But you can also leave us a voice note if you choose to do so. Now, 12-year-old Art Finnan girl, Cara Darmody, joins us every Thursday for her Doyle report. You know the story at this point. She's spending one day a week in Leinster House in a continuation of her campaign to secure better services for families dealing with autism. She joins me now. Cara, good morning. Hi, Fran. Hello. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Cara. It's lovely to talk to you again. Ali has been looking after you for the past few weeks. Yep. Tell me, what is your report this week? How are you going to begin for us? Last week, I told Alison that she was the Claire Baron of Tip FM. Indeed. So, <laughs> this week, I was going to say that you're the Ryan Tuberty of Tip FM. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm, not, I'm not skinny enough, you see. <laughs> but, if I ever meet Ryan Tuberty again, I'm going to tell him that he is the Fran Curry of RT. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be delighted to hear that, thrilled to hear that indeed. <laughs> tell me about your Leinster House experience this week, Cara. First of all, my big news is that I was one of the main speakers at the ASEAN National Conference last Saturday. It was a brilliant day. It was actually their first conference since 2019 due to COVID. I'll just look at my speech notes and tell you what I said. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I came up with a brand new message for my speech. The conference was called Same Chance, meaning that autistic people should get the same chance as every other person. As I am is so right on that. But I went a big step further. I said that this government gives me every chance. That the Ireland I live in gives me everything I need to succeed. From education to sport, everything, Fran. Mm-hmm. Very good indeed. But the country that my brothers live in has a government that gives them no chance. Mm-hmm. That is because they have a disability called autism. And because of that, they endure disability discrimination with everything they need. The headline on my article in this week's Nationalist actually says universal dis- disability discrimination at government level needs to be called out. It is so wrong, and I called that out big time at the conference. There were politicians there, all from the Doll Committee on Autism. But where were the ministers? They need to hear what is happening, but I don't think they did. So my message was clear. Same chance? No, no, no. My brothers and thousands like them get no chance. What was the reaction to your speech at the conference? I suppose the reaction the reaction was really, really good. Mm. Everyone agreed with me. After the speech, everyone was coming up to me telling me that they agreed with me, and not one person said that they disagreed with me. Not one person backed up the HSC. Everyone agrees with me on this, so I'm going to go up and do something about it. Very good indeed. Who did you meet in Leinster House? So next. I had a meeting with Deputy Roshin Sharta, the joint leader of the Social Democrats. I had only seen her on TV, but wow, what an impressive lady. Hmm. She is super smart, and I learned so much about her party. To be honest, I didn't have a clue about the Social Democrats before this. Hmm. They're all for getting rid of inequality in our society. What really impressed me was how they want to have a healthcare system that works for everyone, not just a few. 
Stephanie Shortall agreed that the Ireland I described to her was not treating my two severely autistic brothers equally and that the HSE needs to be held to account. I think that the Social Democrats would have the right attitude towards health if they were in government in the future. Very good. So you were very impressed with her? Yes, I was very impressed with her. Right. Did she get on your scorecard? Pardon? Did she get on your scorecard? Yes. Yes, okay, right. So, uh, so I'm actually going to grade her. So she gets a grade C this a, week. Okay. So I want to give her a grade, a great, great C. Mm-hmm, Cause, okay. Because, um, so, so, um, Roisin Sharta, make sure to keep the good work going. Very good indeed. Did you want to talk about disability payments and that whole saga as well? Yes, actually. The disability payment story is still hanging around Leinster House like a bad smell. Mm. Fran, I was shocked when I heard that the Attorney General is basically saying that it was all legally grand. So, nothing to see here. It is not grand. You have treated these people disgracefully. You cannot put money before people's welfare. I said it on your show last week that the government should pay every penny that they owe back. Every penny. Well... If they don't, then they'll be getting the worst possible grade here for me. It's nothing short of total disability discrimination, Fran. Oh, Fran. Yes. Speaking Carl. of grading, mm-hmm. what I'm going to do is to grade politicians if they're in the news that week. But at the end of every month, I'll give every minister a grade. And if they're missing in action, as most of them seem to be, they'll be getting very bad grades. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Okay. It'll be interesting to see what happens where that is concerned. Uh, tell me about the body cams. Why Why are you so interested in, in that, Cara? So there's other gossip from Leinster House, and it looks like that there's a big row on the way in the government. Tina mm. Gale are trying to push Gary body cameras through, and the Greens are kicking about the facial recognition technology. Mm. My sources say that, that the Justice Minister, Simon Harris, will win that fight hands down. Mm. Okay, so also, you... Fran, mm. it's rumour of the week time. I'm hearing lots of rumours about who the next Fianna Gael leader will be once they decide to give Leo the Lion a little shove. Can you guess who it is, Fran? I can't guess who it is. Who do you think it's going to be? Oh, there are big rumours that it will be a TD from Dunleary called Drum Roll, Jennifer Carr McNeil. Wow. She takes every box. She's tough and really good at debating. She's an outside chance of being the first ever female Taoiseach. Watch this space. And remember, you heard it all here first on Ireland's number one radio station, Tip FM. <laughs> Tell me this, what do you make of, I mean, you're much too too young to remember him in action, but what do you make of Bertie being back, Bertie Ahern? Oh, yes. So finally, maybe the biggest gossip story of all from Leinster House this week. Bertie is back. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Mr. Amarak is officially back. It was a talk of Leinster House fan. Some in favour, some were not. I'm telling you, it will be only a couple of days before the Bertie Ball plans are back on the table. <laughs> I love it. Cara, we look forward to catching up with you again next week. My best to your family and thanks for coming on with us this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is our young Doyle reporter there, Cara from Ardfinan, 12 years old. And uh, yeah, she certainly has them in the palm of her hand, uh, that's for sure. She seems to have access all areas to government buildings. Uh, 16 past nine right now. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry. In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. The Church of England is considering uh, whether to stop referring to God as he after priests asked uh, to be allowed to use gender-neutral terms instead. Now, the Church said it would launch a new commission on the matter in the spring. The topic, which has been discussed by those who follow the Christian faith uh, for many years, is being explored by two commissions in a new joint project. Augustinian priest Father Iggy O'Donovan, based in Father, uh, joins me now. Father Iggy, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good morning, listeners. And always good to talk to you. This is causing a lot of controversy, Iggy. Um, I'm just wondering, what do you think about it? Well, in one sense, Fran, if you like, it's much ado about nothing. Mm. And because I don't think there's any likelihood of um, much change in this area in the immediate... uh, But what I I would say now, among some of us, this debate has gone on for quite a while, mm. albeit among a select minority. But the I hope this doesn't sound like that I'm not going into too much sophistication here mm. now, but it's very important to remember that the, the faith is always mediated through culture mm. and is affected for better or for worse by the culture in which it is preached and which it is revealed, if you like. Mm. And a great deal of what we take for granted in, say, our scripture, our Bible, our language, had its origins in the ancient Middle East and the Roman Empire. And much of the language and the assumptions and all that went with it were lifted out of the society of their time. And the challenge for us as Christian believers, whatever our level of faith is, is that we can adapt the faith to the changing times, changing circumstances, things which may be issues today were not issues a century ago. Uh, Take something as simple, there's a lot of talk these days, you you say the other about the destruction of monuments of guys who are involved in slavery. Mm. Mm. Up until relatively recently, Christian churches, including our own, the Roman Catholic Church, had little difficulty with the whole concept of slavery and it was accepted as part of the culture of the time and the language of the time. And it was well into the 19th, even into the 20th century, before many of us actually could bring ourselves to say that, look, this type of thing was wrong. Now, that's not to say that our ancestors, who had no problem with it, were heartless or cruel or barbaric or whatever. No, they were people of their time. Now, where does this, this brings us on to the language of God. The, okay, the language of our scripture is, by and large, very much a male language. It was bound to be because the society out of which it became. And then, of course, in particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, but also in others, the domination was totally by the male. And we even today in the 21st century, we have a male celibate priesthood. Mm. Even now, even where other churches have moved on there. But... So the question of God and the language like the where he is usually referred to as father and so forth, this is human language and people 
and coming up with concepts of God could only use the language that they knew, the language that they understood. And the image of God, I, I, one of my, I don't know, Fran, if you're into art at all, mm-hmm. but one of the great masterpieces of the history of the world is the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Sure. Yes. And there, Michelangelo, genius though he was, paints his image of creation and God. And God in that one is an elderly man in the clouds with a great white beard, reaching out to Adam, the famous finger touch yeah. scene mm. there. So so brilliant is it that you can hardly imagine it happening any other way. There is a great example of Michelangelo, his image of God as the old man, benevolent old man in the clouds, a sort of a Santa Claus figure, mm. look, looking benevolently down and creating us and getting us on the road. Meaning that we don't, this would, now we, we now know, for example, that we have been evolving around here for millions of years. And the whole concept of God as we know him and religion as we know it only arrived yesterday, literally, in, in, terms, of, in, in terms of the evolving history. Yes. We, we're a very recent arrival. The language we use is very much male language. And I don't have any problem, Fran, if it comes to adapting it to changing times and circumstances because we're learning. There's always more to learn, always more to come up with that is new mm. and always more to adapt to and we need fear nothing. And Father Iggy, in theology anyway, for a long, long time, I guess, the notion uh, of God was without gender in, in theological terms. Is that fair to say? That is true, but at the same time, like, it was, always, it was always the belief that God is pure spirit. Yes. And therefore, gender doesn't come into it. Nevertheless, when we, we composed our prayers or whatever it was, we had to use our own language. And the language that was used was we very much gave him a gender, mm. that he was our father rather than our parent or our creator. And if the words of the our father were to be adapted today, say our creator or our founder or our parent, mm. Goodness, that is simply adapting it to changing times and circumstances. And we need to have no fear about that because the big challenge we face, certainly the big challenge I face every day of my life, is can I reconcile the basis of my faith with modernity? In other words, with the world I see around me and all that goes with it. And the challenges today, of course, in a highly secularized world are different from what they were when my grandfather was around. And Mm. it's the same faith. But he's facing very different challenges. And this one, for the first time ever, so if you like, gender identity and all that is now an issue. It wasn't before. It is now, and we've got to face it. And inevitably will it lead to a conversation around the Holy Mother, for example, because that notion that she might need to intercede with maybe a, a grumpy male figure so to, to do right by us in some way, will, will that all end up for discussion as well? Could indeed, and I, I refer again to the Sistine Chapel, that they, uh, after the creation scene there, the other great scene on the wall of the Sistine is the what they call the Last Judgment, mm. where you have the terrifying Christ arriving, judging us. And my God, he's not a benevolent figure there. Mm. But with him is Mary, who seems to be trying to calm him down. And that's a lovely image of a gentle mother. This is now 16th century, of course, mm. and she's... He's there, like I, I call him the great rugby playing Christ. He's a big muscular mm. figure, obviously based on Hercules or one of the Greek myths. And he is casting people into flames and by God, all types of tortures are going on. 
as he gets retribution and Mary is more or less trying to tell him, look, please, please. You can see that in the painting. But that is a very, very human image. And my God, how often when I was growing up, when one or other of my parents came after me, the other would say, ah, look, leave him be, leave him be. You know, yes. it's a human image. So it reflected, no, right, it reflected our experience within a family, for instance. It was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, ironically, that gives it a certain credibility. You can see where it's coming, where it's coming from. Mm. But the idea that everything is written in stone or written in bronze and cannot be part of our gift as thinking human beings is the, what I would call the development of doctrine. And that our understanding of God, mm. and my God, he's a very much an optional figure for many people, a very optional indeed. And Yeah, but this stubborn sticking with the doctrine of, you know, ancient times, I mean, is probably holding back the church in a lot of ways. You can, but I suppose that there are about, okay, there's about three billion Christians in the world. Half of them are Roman Catholic. Mm. And my God, there's nearly as many opinions as there are people. Yes. So the two, bring them with you. You know, change, it's, 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 it's very challenging. Some are absolute fundamental. Like I know sincerely believing Christians who would still absolutely hold to the six-day creation. Yes. You know, the first day he created the sun and the next day the moon and finally yes. Adam. And it's a six-day total fundamentalist. And he rest, rested on the Sunday, yeah. Yes, and yeah. even the very idea of resting on Sunday, that at the time that this, that, 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 that was committed to paper, to, say, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> that the, the day off on Sunday was a great, was a big thing for the average working type, working person, yeah. most of whom are slaves. And the day off of the Sabbath, as the Jews would have called it. But it, it, it's a lovely image, but above all, to, to remember that it is an image from a particular time, particular place, particular circumstances. And while many people have no bother with accepting the evolution of our faith, I don't have because it would make no sense to me if it wasn't evolving and facing new challenges new and new questions such as this one. But others see it, the six-day creation, fundamentalist interpretation, and in, in some ways, that's actually growing more frighteningly in places like America and so forth, highly secularized societies in many ways and materialistic societies, but a very dangerous religious fundamentalism creeping in as well. And uh, mm. where they really, where we're so it's, it's a difficult debate, A lot of what you're saying to me there, it's really coming home to me that so much of our imagery and our vision of what uh, Christianity is is derived from Renaissance art in, in Italy. It's amazing, isn't it? it? And Renaissance art simply reflected the world in which you, you know, take the geniuses the yeah. of, say, Michelangelo, the genius of Leonardo, yes, uh, Raphael. My God, how did they... But you could see that if you look at their works... It, they're reflecting the world of their time. One of the great ones was Caravaggio, who, yes, who we're so proud we, yeah. we boast of one of his works. And he met a tug and a gangster, but a damn great artist. Great artist, yeah. And so it's uh, something very simple. For example, virtually every other day, there's a saint they celebrated in the church calendar. Okay. And very many people are referred to as virgins, but it's interesting. In absolutely every case, the Virgin is female. There is no reference to a male saint being expected to be in such a condition as being a virgin. God, I never thought and of it's that. it's totally yeah. female. Yeah. Now, and that is, that is just a prime example of 
how the theology, the doctrine, the teaching reflected the everyday thinking of its time. And in the Roman world, whatever was expected of the female about purity and virginity, it wasn't expected of the male. And that even got into the church. Isn't that incredible? Would you go along with one of the notions I read this morning, which is that, you know, all human language about God is inadequate to some degree, to describe the entity. As as an Augustinian, I can say this. St. Augustine once said that that in in, in thinking about God and meditating, he said, Mm. if you think you've understood him, it isn't God you have understood. Right. Now, Augustine was talking in the fourth Very profound, yes, of course. Yes, he said, if you think... if you think you've understood, it's not God you've understood. We can't. And he was, Augustine, probably one of the most brilliant minds of all time. And at the end of the day, he said that simply, we can only speculate, we can only have our images, we can pray, and so forth. But above all else, what we need, and this is where religion has fallen down, we need the gift of toleration. There needs to be multifaceted opinions in there. And so therefore, if somebody wants to be a fundamentalist, I have no problem with that. But if somebody wants to be to move along with the world in the ever-changing times and circumstances, I'm more at home with that myself. But there has to be a room for both of us. And today, now I'm sure that people heard me this morning that I'm sort of abolishing God or something. I'm not. I'm trying to make him relevant to my life and, and to the little bit of preaching that I do with, with limited success. Well, I'm sure with huge success. But Father Iggy, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and always thought-provoking. Thank you so much for your time this morning. God bless. Thanks, Thank friend. Bye-bye. 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 That's Father Iggy O'Donovan. Much to think about there. Um, I'm sure you'll agree. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Quite a reaction to my chat there with uh, Father Iggy. Um, let me bring you some of it. Fran, the gender mafia are now taking on God. What a nerve. Somebody else saying, hello, Fran. How will we bless ourselves in the name of the love, the they or the them and the Holy Spirit? Uh, another listener, Fran, removing the words our father is another sign of the world gone mad. Our Lord was Jesus's father, which makes him a male. End of story. Gender neutrality has gone mad. Mother nature determines whether you're male or female, not the way you wake up in the morning and decide what you want to be. And somebody else saying, good morning, Fran. I've changed my prayers around a long time now. I say glory be to the Father and the Son, Mary, Queen of Heaven, St. Joseph and the Holy Spirit within us. Amen. And I love listening to Father Iggy. All right, thank you very much for that. 83 Now, the Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland has launched its Baywatch campaign with two objectives in mind. The first is calling on the government to change the existing legislation so that Gardaí and traffic wardens can now impose fines on those parking illegally in private accessible bays. The second is to highlight the ongoing abuse of disabled parking bays in general and push for a greater enforcement of existing regulations. I'm glad to be joined now by Richard Ryder and Richard is Communications and Marketing Manager for the Disabled Drivers Association. Richard, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome indeed and really good to talk to you today. Funny enough, we, we got a statement from the Gardaí today on this and seemingly oh. they they are allowed and they do have jurisdiction over um, 
uh, car parks that are deemed private if the public has access to these areas. Is that your understanding, Richard? Uh, not. <laughs> no, that's news to me. Um, and that's the first I've heard of. I've done over 20 interviews in all the radios and never heard that before. Yeah. But we'll check it out. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what many people didn't know and not... Look, I will check that out, but didn't know. Uh, many of our own members, uh, 42% indeed, thought that um, that the guards could go into private car parks um, in the likes of shopping centres, hospitals, um, schools, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, and 45% said they didn't know. When in fact, they're not allowed. I mean, we've checked it out. I don't know where that came from, but I would certainly check it yeah. out. Maybe you could... I, I'd say where, where the confusion is, Richard, is that yeah. it's, it's probably not being... Policed and maybe it needs to be policed well, and enforced, or maybe uh, no, you know no, a better no, understanding no. of this. Yeah, no. Essentially, the legislation. I mean, I've looked into the legislation obviously mm. before we went down this route, yes. and the legislation is contained within the road traffic regulations. And essentially, if there's no local authority sign um, over the bay, the parking bay, then the guards or traffic wardens cannot issue fines. Ah, so, in okay. the big supermarkets and outlets, you'll see um, clamping and operation, and yes. then that's up to the management or the owner of that. Yes, that's you know, private clamping, is it? Uh, that's, that's, that, that's private clamping. Yeah. Mm. They'll, 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 they'll fish it out to um, a third party. Mm. Uh, but the guards and traffic wardens are not allowed to go in and slap a uh, fixed charge notice of a €150 Euro fine uh, right. in private property. And that's, that's basically it. So, so <laughs> I, either way, there's confusion there yeah, anyway, Richard, yeah, exactly. about this. So what we're trying is... to do is highlight, highlight that, that that's it, and we're looking for it to be changed. I've already had a meeting with, um, uh, you know, with somebody from, from Dáil Éireann yes. about that yesterday, or the day before, and um, we're going to look at maybe trying to move this along, you know. So, right. um, yeah, the, so the, there you go. The second strand of, of your Baywatch uh, campaign is the ongoing abuse of disabled parking bays. Is that as bad as ever? It seems to be getting worse, in my opinion. And from our members' point of view, the mental phone calls and emails that I would get on a regular basis, you know, people telling me that the people continue to do it, and the same people continue to do it. I've kind of named them now serial bay abusers because um, the amount of times people just say that they park without regard and um, just, you know, I kind of just say, oh, I'll only be back in a minute or I'm only just popped in for the paper or whatever. And it's just not acceptable to do it at any stage at any time. I mean, just for your listeners, the, the reason people with disabilities need those parking spaces is um, for somebody with disabilities popping into town at the Tipperary or wherever it is, they, they, they need to plan their journey. And they need to know when they get to that destination that there's going to be a parking space for them because they might need to deploy a lift or a ramp at the side of their vehicle or at the back of their vehicle. Or they may need to, if they're a driver, they need to open their door, their driver's door, really wide so they can get their wheelchair out and get themselves set up. Um, They can't just hop out of the car and run down the road. I mean, we all know when we go to some shopping parking spaces that we have to, when we get out of the car, well, I do anyway, I have to suck my tummy in to kind of get between the two cars, you know, when you open your door. And that's just person with disability can't do that and um, you know it's very stressful for somebody and they end up having to go home sometimes when they drive around the town for 15 minutes and say do you know what I'll just go home and come back tomorrow and try again So they can't actually do their shopping or do their business at home? Go to the doctor or go wherever, no um, yeah, you know because, now it's fine if if the places are taken up by genuine people with the disability badge or the blue badge, that's fine but when they come along and they see that there's no badge on the car and that's what happens in a lot of cases Another thing that has come up on the programme several times, Richard, and I'd love your opinion on this too, yep. is, is, is the hidden disability. Um, in other words, somebody that is disabled, but it might be obvious and it can cause argy-bargy. 
100% and that's why we say to people not really to, you know we wouldn't advise people to go approaching people who who have the badge shown because as you just say not every not every disability is visible and people may have an underlying condition may a heart condition mm-hmm. that they can't walk yeah. very far you know because the criteria to get the card is very very strict we don't give them out like smarties nor should we uh, because if, if everyone had a card then the spaces would just be useless um, so the criteria are very very strict it's only somebody whose mobility is severely restricted and who um it's not somebody say for example who's going in for a hip replacement you know and they ring us mm. can we get a card for mm. six weeks that, that that doesn't exist it's um you know it's 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 a, it's a disability that's a lasting disability so mm. you know people have said to me yeah i've approached people and they get an earful um you know, because uh, it just because Argy Bardi agree. <laughs> yeah, of course. And funny enough, I, I think people are more educated about this than ever before. But are you saying to me that it's not changing the opinion of some people? Is that, is that some people? They just they don't have no regard for any rules. You know, those kind of people. I think um, rules are there to be broken, and they don't care. They suit themselves and um, to hell with everybody else. And that seems to be yes. the kind of attitude of some people. I mean, I'm, I'm working in the disability sector over 25 years, and the only thing I've seen changing in terms of parking now I'm talking about with disability is that the fine has gone up from €80 Euro to €150. Euro. That was about four years ago. Uh, Shane Ross, the Minister for Transport at the time, we contacted him, and um, yes. in fairness to him, that was what happened. That that go up to 225 not paid within but, 30 days. But are, ma- are many people caught in these bays though are many people charged there there? is and you know we're we're looking we're we're actually we're we're contacting um the department to try and get a figure on that and how much is actually how much is raised every year through Mm. fines yeah people parking and we're going to be calling for that money to be ring fenced so that for the upkeep of some disabled parking bays you might notice some places a lot of people get off the the fine because they'll say you know a smart a smart barrister or solicitor will say oh um the markings on the road were faded and yes, my, my, my yeah. client didn't see them. It wasn't well enough signposted, you know, and, and mm. thrown out of court. So what we're going to try and look at doing is do um, look at all these bays and say, OK, that one there is not fit for purpose, that one there needs to be painted, etc. And um, that's what we're going to look at as well, you know. So Very I suppose indeed. we're calling for more enforcement as well. Just, just one figure you might be interested in, yeah. 70% of our members said that their disabled parking permit or blue badge had never been inspected either a traffic warden, security or a private car park operator. So that's quite stark, isn't it? Isn't, isn't it indeed? And and mm. that takes us back to where we began, really, is that yeah. it's probably, it needs to be policed and there needs to be more enforcement. Yeah, those two words, every time I have a meeting with our board of directors in DVAI, it's coming back to the same thing, more enforcement, more enforcement, more enforcement. And, um, you know, and there's no enforcement out there. And that's why in the, par- in the private car parks, there's, there's very little enforcement. And it shouldn't be left just to the management of those places. You know, the guards and traffic wardens should be allowed to go in and slap a hefty fine. Mm-hmm. And why not have it up to €300? Euro? Why, why 150 you know? I Absolutely. Mean, well, you, might just, you might just check out what we got this morning. Yeah. That It, it seems yeah. to be possible for them to do so. Now, whether they're doing so or not is another, another well, question. Uh, and, and they're not as far as you're concerned. No, no. they're not. And mm-hmm. maybe... Your researcher or something, I can have a chat just to see where that came from. Absolutely. For for, for sure, we'll get Ali to ring you back in just just a little while. Richard, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. That's Richard Ryder there of the Disabled Drivers Association. Let's go to Pat. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Really good to talk to you today, Pat. Uh, You've been listening 
to uh, Richard there. And uh, you're a person, you, your disability part is kind of hidden, I suppose, in some way, is it? It is. It is. Um, I, I, I don't use a wheelchair, even though that I have a wheelchair here. I have a prosthetic uh, false leg on. Mm. And uh, now, it, it, that's hidden. If you step out of the car, you may see the, the leg coming out because I have to open up the door very, very wide and you yes. may see the leg coming out and you may see just at the ankle the, the, the bar. To, mm. You know, it's not a leg, it's, it's, it's a prosthetic. But um, I have limited um, um, walking ability because, um, as you can understand, it's a solid structure that's around your leg and uh, it, it means that, that where these wheelchair spaces are, is either near the doctors or inside in a, um, um, a shopping centre or whatever, private car mm. parks, mm. a school car park or a, um, a county council car park. And you need to go and do your bit of business. Now, as you mentioned there earlier, people have to plan where they're going. As I do, I say, right, where I'm going. Oh, yeah, there's car parking space there because I can't walk that far. OK, when I am walking, people say, oh, sure, there's nothing wrong with him. Mm. But the fact is that... Uh, uh, in, in a very, very hot day, we'll just take, for example, like we had last summer, all the hot days we had. Yes. If you put on a 3.5 kilogram uh, weight onto the end of your stump, you encase that with, with uh, rubber silicone, um, then you put another silicone thing over to strap the leg onto the thing. It, it's very, very warm and it's going up your thigh. As well as that, then you have the, you have the problem that maybe if you're walking too much, you can incorporate. Um, blisters on your leg. Of course, and, and these these are all the things we don't take into account, I suppose. No, yeah. people don't take these into account, and you have to take off the leg mm. then and go into a wheelchair. Like during that summer, I spent six weeks in a wheelchair. Right, because it was too uncomfortable for you to wear the prosthetic. Sorry? It was too uncomfortable for you, obviously, to well, you wear the prosthetic. prosthetic. You'd yeah. be told by the, by the NRH in Dublin that uh, in, in, when I contacted them, I said, look, I have a blister inside my leg, and they said, take off your prosthetic immediately go into a wheelchair and visit your doctor. Right, uh, because you, you, you could get infected, of course, which would be well, very serious. Yeah. Infected, yes, uh, infection is one of the problems, but also the fact that I'm a diabetic oh. and I have slow healing. Now, yes, if you encase it inside in, in silicone, um, which, is, which it was, a uh, silicone um, um, cover that goes over, it's like a boot that goes over the, the leg, mm. just close to the skin. Now, if you enclose it inside in that, you have you have serious infection within a couple of couple of hours, and, and that could be very serious for you. Um, when you are wearing your prost, uh, prosthetic pad, and when you you get out of the car, as I say, you appear to be fine. Have you ever had aggro from people to say, "Look, there you are taking up a disabled uh, Absolutely. Uh, day"? Have you? Absolutely. I was coming across one car park. I'm not going to mention the shop. Uh, uh, I was coming across the car park, coming into, the, into where my car was was based, and this gentleman came up to me. And he said that um, yeah, you, you're parked there, he said, in a, in a disabled bay. And uh, I said, I am. I'm entitled to. And uh, I said, um, um, uh, what you can see that there is a badge up. Now, the badge, as, as Richard uh, pointed out, to was, was, mine was never checked. Mm. I have a badge since uh, for three years, since 2019, when I lost my leg. Yes. And my badge was never checked by a guard or by a traffic warden because the badge is issued to the, to the person. Mm. It's not issued to the care, right? Very and at the back of the yeah. badge, there's your 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 photograph is embedded into it, right? Right. So, so that means a family it. member can't use the badge for no, for, no, for no, convenient no, parking. No, no. Yeah. And, and to be to be honest with you, Frank, uh, friend, that that when when if my wife was using my car, she takes down the badge. 
Okay, well, fair play. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, because yeah. she's, she's afraid that if she was stopped by the guard, oh, hold on a second, just not yours. But it's not when you're driving that the, the badge is. The badge is for to use it inside in a, in a particular in a, in a disabled bay. Do you, you think, um, particularly in the private car parks, does it need to be policed more as far as you're concerned, Pat? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I know, um, like, the DDAI do not, uh, in, um, what do you call it, they do not encourage people um, to challenge people that are parked inside it because you're you're going to get all sorts of abuse and it only drives people's tempers up and whatever the case yeah, may be. Yeah. But it, it should be policed by either uh, a community guard, for example, just driving in and around through the through the, the squad car, just driving around through and just see it, uh, just inspect it and walk off. A couple of fines, Brian. I mean, uh, Richard is right there as a guard, the 150 euro fine. The 150 euro fine is nutty. It's yeah. peace, right. Like, definitely right. double it. 300 euro fine on the spot. Okay, it, it it needs to really put off people making that uh, decision. Pat, it was great to talk to you as always. Another thing, Frank, yes, another Pat. Thing too, is, to, is to make sure that the, the, the it's an onus on the county council as well to make sure the bays are properly painted, like the painted. blues bay. Yes, and, and and Richard made that point as well. It should should be clear and clearly marked. Yes. All right, Pat, you look after yourself, and thank you for your time this morning. Thank no, you. Bye bye. AIPCO, the group representing Ireland's conference organisers, is warning that rising prices are putting the country's business tourism market at risk. Now, the group represents nine companies that organise over 175 events annually. Greg Carew is vice chairperson of the organisation and joins me now. Greg, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. When it comes to tourism, we might be guilty of forgetting the worth of these conferences, uh, Greg. I mean, how important is this? aspect of the tourism market? Well, well they're critically important, uh, Fran, and as you mentioned there, yes, our members bring in over 175 events per year, so that equates to over 45,000 international delegates. And when you consider that Paul uh, Charlotte measured the value of each conference delegate at €1,600, Euro, um, it's a massive contribution to, to the Irish economy that, that these business events make. What are the issues then that you think might damage this market? Well, look, the rising costs are, are a major concern and they're putting enormous pressure on us, specifically in the areas of, of accommodation and catering. I mean, it, it is having a huge impact on our events. Um, and on the back of that, look, we, we believe that it's crucially important that the VAT rate is retained at the 9%. It's proposed to go to 13.5% at the end of the month. If that comes into effect, it would make us the fourth highest in Europe for accommodation VAT and the sixth highest in Europe for, for VAT on food. So... We we're certainly calling on the government to retain this 9% rate. The associations that we work with on our conferences are very still much in financial recovery mode mm. and they're working with limited budgets, obviously, impacting from the past few years. So there's plenty of options out there for these international associations. It's quite a competitive marketplace and quite a competitive bidding process for cities and destinations trying to secure these business events. So look, the reality is if we become too expensive, then you know they'll simply go somewhere else. Um. I suppose that preparation for these events begins way in advance and we have to take that into account as well, Greg. Completely, yeah. So we'd be working on bids, you know, four or five, sometimes even up to ten years, ten years in advance. So you know, there's, there's a significant work goes into this, um, a significant time in, in planning. So I, I suppose, you know, it needs, the whole process needs to be, uh, you know, at least be carefully thought through. And, you know, as I said, associations are being quite cautious about where they're going but the value I suppose it's not just the economic value to the event that it's you know positioning Ireland as a global knowledge hub in key sectors it's driving research mm. international collaboration and, and, and investment as well and you know 
if we become too expensive as a destination, you know, it, it puts these business events at risk and, and they're crucially important. So I guess we need to we need to ensure that this market is protected, really. The, the joy of these events has to be as well that often they're in hotels and hospitality centres at, at off-peak times, in the, whether it's during the week or just off-season times. Exactly. Look, it's, it's year-round business. Uh, you know, we're you know we're we're working all over the country. Uh, we're working midweek, as you mentioned, a lot of them. So you know, we're filling hotels, yeah. restaurants, bars on on a Tuesday night in November. You know, when there's probably not much else going on in 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 cities and towns. So you know, there's there's great value within within these events. And you know, just the, the key, as I said, is is to protecting this and look to to get back to excellence after after the last few years. And that's that's one of the um, one of the main topics we'll have at our, our conference coming up next month in Boulder Resort in Cork on the second and third of March. We'll have some of the world's leading experts on on business tourism, discussing global trends and really what the Irish market can learn from that. And we'll have a national panel of experts from across the business tourism spectrum to to focus on really how we can get back to excellence. Because you know, I suppose not only the rising costs, we've had a, a number of people you know leaving the industry in the last few years, mm. so there's a lot of talent left. So we're very much not only are the associations in rebuilding mode, but our members are are still in rebuilding mode. So you know, um, the vast hit would be would be a major impact for us on top of everything as well, because look, we're still very much now. There, you know, there's rising. I mean, you, you you talk there about the international competition uh, for these events, Greg. But I mean, rising costs and inflation hitting everybody across the world. So you know, we're no different, I suppose, in some ways. We're, we're we're no different, and I suppose look, we we have maybe some additional challenges as well. You know, when we're when we're bidding for other events, you know, for coming up against European destinations, obviously there's a massive focus on sustainability now that we return back uh, to in-person events from mm. from virtual. So, you know, we're an island nation; people have to fly in. These international delegates have to fly in. So, if we're going up against you know a, a Berlin or a Paris or somewhere like that, that maybe uh, delegates from mainland Europe, you know, can can travel by train or whatever too. That's obviously a hurdle we have to go over. I mean, the benefit we have is obviously, you know, as as I mentioned, the knowledge hubs that we have, the the fantastic ambassadors that we have, the support from from Fault Ireland, and the quality of of venues and standard of venues that we have. So, you know, we've a lot going for us in Ireland. We've we've a very successful industry. We had a very successful industry in, in pre-COVID, and you know, we feel you know we can have a really bright future once again once we can access the resources and talent that can really just help us help us recover and. Uh, like, Thrive and get back to get back to excellence. But where, where ordinary tourism is concerned, we often have people coming on to us on the program and saying, you know, they'd have a much cheaper holiday if they went to Spain or Portugal than they would have here in our own country. And they particularly talk about the price of drink, the price of meals, and that kind of thing as well. Um, on a much larger scale, do do you notice that sort of you know almost deliberate overpricing? Look, look, it, it, it's notable as it is, and it's a challenge. And I suppose that's where you know we'd be you know, asking asking people just to consider consider a couple of things. We consider the market because our delegates at the conferences are are from associations. You know, they'll have limited budgets. You'll have delegates from all over the world, many of which would be maybe from low middle income countries. You'll have students who'd be applying for funding. And so they have a certain limit to what they can go to and stretch to. You know, for these events, so there is competition mm-hmm. with our events. So they may decide to go elsewhere and. Look, the potential long-term implications for that is that for the events that are confirmed, we may not get the number of delegates we want. And then for for future business, as as you said, working on these bids for many years in advance, it, yeah. it, it's going to be tricky to get those over the line. Yeah, of course, you have all the added, uh, added stuff. You have sound, lights, probably entertainment, often as part of these events as, as well. And do you notice all of that is on the increase? Yeah, pretty pretty much. To be honest, it's 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 across the board. Yeah. So you know, it's it's coming with so you know budgets. As you said, that would have been set several years beforehand. 
uh, you know, now have to be reviewed because just the, the costs are just escalating. So, you know, it is it is it is a challenge for sure. You know, so as I said, it's one we'll certainly be addressing in detail at our at our conference next month. Okay, and your conference is uh, the second or third of March at lovely uh, Fota uh, Resort there in Cork. Can anybody go along to that? How do you get along to that? Who who fits the yes, criteria to go? So to all, that? all the detail. Look, it's really everyone involved in the, the business tours and space. That's everything from obviously conference organisers to venues, uh, universities. Um, yep, entertainment mm. providers, AV providers, destination uh, management companies. So it's really really the full spectrum of um, of people involved in the business tourism sector. All the details are on our website. That's aipco.ie. Uh, so you can register. You can see the programme there and register there, but all the information is, all right. uh, is there. Great to talk to you today, Greg. We wish you well. Thank you for coming on with us. Thank you. Good Thank morning you, to you. That's uh, Greg Carew there as Vice Chairperson of AIPCO. We'll take a break. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good morning, Mahogat Good Pats, and you're welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Uh, 1800 938 007 is our free phone number. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Now, could I preface my next conversation by saying that some of the details that we'll be talking about is harrowing and uh, heartbreaking and, um, you know, anyway, just to preface it uh, with that, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Jim O'Shea, and Jim is a retired counsellor and therapist from Thurlis. He's published the first of three volumes about the impact of multiple personality disorders. The subject of the book is Margaret, a rather extraordinary 68-year-old woman, and uh, Dr. O'Shea is with me. Jim, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Brian. And uh, thank you so much for coming in to us. It is fair to preface what we say by... By, by by saying it is heartbreaking, Jim, and I know it has broken your heart. It has, and I, I feel very emotional about it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about Margaret and maybe your first meeting with her, yeah, Jim. Yeah, I'll go through her story. Yeah. But I, what I'd like to do, basically, is just uh, look at the story of her childhood and then maybe see the impact of that upon her in terms of her brain, because it's all about the brain, basically. Yeah. And, and my, my therapy is a brain therapy, it's a neural therapy, EMDR. And what I would say about it, and, and I'd like listeners to take this away, if childhood sexual abuse, now she suffered physical abuse and verbal as well, but child sexual abuse is quite widespread. And going for talk therapy will not solve it. It, will, it, could, it could actually make it worse for you because it doesn't process. So you need... A trauma therapy, and the best one in the world is EMDR. Um, and there is a there's an EMDR therapist in Clonmel. I can't give her name because I didn't yeah, ask for permission. Yeah, okay. There's one in Banch, and there's one in Tipperary Town, and there's myself. Now I, I am retired, uh, so I hope to do some voluntary work with Ukrainians and people. There's a new there's a new one in 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 Kilkenny, mm. uh, and it is the best therapy you have for childhood. Yeah, so it's a very specific therapy. Yeah, yeah it's a trauma okay. therapy. And it goes back into the womb, 
because the womb can be a, a distressful place. So I'll, I'll talk about that as well. Yes, okay. So, oh, Margaret. Yes, in, mm. in November, November 2016, Margaret arrived. She, she lives quite a long distance away, maybe 80, 80 kilometres away. And uh, she was very jovial, as I say in the book, a silver-haired woman at the time. Uh, she was about, I don't know what age she was at the time, over 60. She's now 70. I've had her every week since then. And uh, she, she, was, she joked away and she said she was coming to see me because her husband had MS and uh, she was found being a carer, distressing and felt, felt trapped by it. So I was smiling to this is this would be no problem at all to EMDR. This is easy peasy for EMDR, you know, because that is a trauma. It's a trauma being a carer. Because uh, I was a carer myself for my wife for some time, uh, and fortunately she recovered. So you can get compound or complex uh, uh, post-traumatic stress from that because it's ongoing. You never know what to expect, so it's quite dangerous. Uh, so she casually mentioned then that she had been abused sexually as a child, and then I, I really sat up because... Um, to, to heal uh, childhood sexual abuse is very difficult. It, it causes immense damage to the brain. All, all childhood abuse damages our brain. Uh, but the child, but sexual abuse is, is the worst. And, and uh, I don't know exactly why it, it, why it damages the brain more. Um, hard to say, but it takes longer to heal it than other types of abuse. Uh, so I kept that in mind. So I began the EMDR therapy. There's eight phases. So... Later on in the program, we have time, I'll explain mm. what EMDR is. And mm. if any uh, listener wants to find out who may have suffered abuse as a child or any kind of abuse at any stage of their lives, I want to know about EMDR if they email me. So I'm jppoche45 at gmail.com and I'll send them an explanation. Okay. And, of and Emma will have that just in case anybody mentioned, uh, right. uh, just missed it there uh, yeah. as well. Okay. Um, t tell me about the abuse, if you can, um, because it was from multiple sources, wasn't it? Uh, there was. But basically just, uh, I began to process the, 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 the problem she had as a carer mm. and she began to convulse in the chair and she was burping and it was all over the place. And I realised immediately that the brain had now gone to the sexual abuse, and uh, that's what the brain does. Uh, it, it'll go through all the, the traumatic uh, things that happen to you, the, the EMDR does. So I had to, I had to stop it, and I, I, the next day she came, I tried it again. Now, this would be quite normal for somebody who'd come with uh, childhood sexual abuse, that they would get these physical ab reactions. Uh, but these were so, so bad that I couldn't... She was going outside what we call the window of tolerance, so I had to I had to stop it, uh, and I discussed it with my with my uh, supervisor, who was a consultant psychiatrist, and he mentioned dissociation. So I knew I was in trouble at that stage. So I was fortunate I had him. So I'll tell her story. Mm. Uh, so our childhood will determine how we're going to be as adults, and that goes right back to the womb. Now, EMDR, I always do the womb in EMDR because the womb can be a very distressing place. So what happens if a mother is, shall we say, is worried or anxious or depressed? She releases cortisol, and, and, and this can be reversed, by the way, so any mother who was anxious, I yes. just want to assure them this can be, can be reversed. She releases cortisol uh, through the umbilical cord into the placenta, and the child will be vulnerable to depression and anxiety later in life. 
so Margaret's mother was anxious and depressed. Uh, and she would have had to come for therapy at any rate, but not with the same awful issues that, that happened. Uh, so what what happens there is that our brain is not developed in, in the womb, except there is one aspect of it, the amygdala, which is the two little... It comes from the Ram and they're in each hemisphere of the brain and they can be bigger. So... Um, so Margaret would have had these issues one way or the other, but not, not to the horrible extent that she had. And they can be reversed if the mother is actually warm. It mightn't be the mother's fault that she's anxious or but if she's warm later. But Margaret's mother was cold and punitive and critical. Um, so that, that's a factor. But at the age of four, her father began to groom her. Now, the child will trust the father... And he was a real expert at grooming her, and she thought this was love. He was loving her. And it went to the most extreme sexual abuse at four. My so God. that's hard to get your head around that. So the father should be a protector, and she, she saw this as love uh, because she's an innocent child. But instead of being the protector, he was abusing her. But worse still, at the age of seven, he said to her that, I want you to love your uncle in the same way as you're loving me. And he said, I'll really love you for that if you do that for me. And so he brought her to the uncle and he joined in that abuse. And then there was a guy that I call Mr. Important. I'm not sure if that's a good name for, for, for this awful, awful person. He was well known in the community, well respected. And he was the worst of them. So so they used to bring this poor child and, and it's so emotional. But, uh, he used to bring this poor child to, to, to Mr. Important's house and they would all abuse her. And uh, this went on at about 11 and a half when she was in first year, 12 years of age. Um, she became pregnant uh, and they were in a dilemma because they wanted to save their respectability. So they decided that they would abort her. Now, the mother knew... And this makes it really hard. The mother knew, but this veneer of respectability was so important that was put before the, the, the welfare of this, this poor, innocent child. So Mr. Important went to the school and uh, the, 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 the school, the, the headmistress of the school was a nun. And so he was well respected. He said he needed her to help him. So uh, she released she released Margaret, 12-year-old child, uh, and the mother used to keep warning her, you know, if your periods stop, don't let them stop. Now, the child didn't understand that, that if they stopped, she would she would be expecting a But child. this was putting blame on her, almost. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, the impact was awful, but right. it's hard to get your head around this. So, so this, this man came, he took the child, he took her to a doctor. So the doctor... Must have been somehow involved, though he only on that occasion, and she was molested while he did the abortion by, uh, by the doctor. The, by the doctor, yes. She also went when she was ten. She went to confession to a priest, uh, and he wouldn't give her absolution. He said, "You know, you're telling lies. Go back and do what your parents want." My God. So, oh my was, God. He, he wasn't involved in the abuse, but that that was. Uh, I mean, she lost her faith over that, uh, over a number of years, although she is a person of mm. enormous spirituality and creativity. So the abortion was done that day. The Mr. Important took her home to his house, gave her whiskey, brought her back to the school, told the, the, the nun that, that 
she had stolen his whiskey and the nun beat her. And it's hard to get your head around the enormity of that. The child aborted, brought back to school, you know, the, the, the lack of care. The, you couldn't really describe it, I think, you know, and, and it, it had me in tears, you know. So if we look at that, that the enormity of that abuse, so there was sexual, there was physical, there was verbal, because as she grew into a teenager, uh, she began to resist, and, and then they would beat her, and, and she felt felt trapped. So what happens to people when they suffer such enormous abuse is that their brain fragments. So our brain through love, kindness, affection, uh, if we get that, our brain develops in an integrated way. So her brain was fractured and she developed from a very early age, because if a child is abused, they dissociate as if it's happening to somebody else. And with extreme abuse, that somebody else becomes what we call an ego part. DID uh, is dissociative identity disorder, used to be known as multiple personality, mm. and they break into what we call ego parts or dissociative parts, uh, technically known as action systems. Mm. Uh, and we would know them as personalities, is that it? Exactly, exactly. because they yeah. all have their own... I think multiple personality disorder is probably a better Got term. Yeah. They all have their own personality. Uh, they have their own outlook, they have their own role, mm. and, a, and they have a very narrow outlook, so there's often conflict between them. These are real, and I talk to them, and I email them, and I counsel them, and I got to know all of them down throughout the years. The, the separate personalities, yes. you, you, you contacted them separately? Yes, I did. I counseled them. Now, I'll tell you about it. So this is known as structural dissociation. Yes. So structural dissociation is a bad thing. We, we dissociate from our feelings. Structural dissociation is a separate thing. It's where our brain fragments, and we have these 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 ego parts. But I just call them parts, you know. Um, and... Uh, there are four levels of this. So DID is the worst of the worst, but there's also the worst of the worst in the worst. So you have primary dissociation. And now the parts are known as ANP, an apparently normal part. So this would be Margaret that you meet on the street. But there could be three different Margarets or two different Margarets. The, 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 you could get the, the jolly one, you could get the very positive one, you could get the one who can, who can function quite well. Uh, you might get an emotional one, but they're, they're different. So these are NPs, and then you have EPs. These are emotional parts. Uh, so, for example, she had a part called depression, capital D, who tried to kill her. And she, she com- tried to commit suicide many times because depression would. So I said to depression, well, if you kill her, you're going to die. And I said, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> and it eased up, you know. So... It, when you look at, at, at structural dissociation, you have four types. So the first type is primary dissociation, where you have one ANP, one apparently normal part, and one EP. And then you have secondary, where you have, uh, you have one ANP and two EPs. Then you have tertiary, where you have maybe two ANPs and maybe two or three EPs. But there's a new one that they've defined, which is quaternary structural dissociation, only in the last few years. And this is where you'd have... You'd have maybe four or five uh, ANPs and any number of EPs. So Margaret had that. She had the worst of the worst. She had at least five ANPs and 
82 EPs. She had 87 parts. Right, 87 parts? 87 parts, So yeah. is that like 87 personalities? Yes, exactly. All different personalities. The God Jesus part is a beautiful part. Yes, yeah. Calls me my friend. Yeah. And I was with you, you probably don't remember where I talked about uh, collective unconscious of young. It's a bit like that where people connect, you know. Uh, so I would connect, my spiritual part would connect with, with, with uh, Margaret. the same as you and I are connecting, mm. our brains are actually connecting right now. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so she had this, and my supervisor said, you're going to have to use, she said, Jim, you're going to have to use uh, family systems therapy. Said, That's fine, but I had a family of 87. <laughs> now, they only emerged gradually, Fran. You know, some of them are listening and they're hiding, yeah. they're listening. Will you, will you explain that to us? Because, you see, most of our experience comes from Hollywood movies here yes, where yes. we have these very um, uh, profound, uh, you know, changes between personalities. Yes. It's much more subtle than that, or is it? Um, well, I don't know whether it's subtle or not. It's a reality uh, that is not seen. Okay. And that you don't you don't notice. I mean, if you met if you met Margaret, she's a perfectly normal person. Right. But you don't know which Margaret it is. You know? Okay. Or if you okay. see Margaret who's depressed, that's not just depression, that is the ego part depression who has seized her. A dark, vicious part who's now eating out of the palm of my hand because when you counsel them you have to be really nice to them. And you mm. have to stay going and be nice. And eventually they'll come on side. And do they interact with each other? Do they, they argue with each other, uh, for example? Uh, well, the thing about it is that they, they sometimes they're not aware of each other. Okay. So part of the therapy is to make them aware of each oh, other. Right. And they have these inner meetings. And they send me, they would send me the, the minutes of their meetings. Like It's absolutely fascinating. It's all in the book, the, the inner meetings. Um, and yes, you're quite right, because they have different roles. And the roles vary. So you could have someone with a very positive role, a practical role, and then you have someone with a very protective role. And uh, so there's often clashes between them and enmity between them. And the role of the therapist is to bring harmony. So it took me five and a half years to do that, to bring harmony. And I succeeded in the end in doing that. So they're all... The, the, the rest of... You, you, you brought us up to her teen years and that... But, I mean, the rest of her life was, was, was very difficult as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was. She, she left home uh, probably about 17 and went to Dublin to live. Uh, she had, didn't sit her limbs up, but she came back and sat it. And, and, she's uh, a very intelligent woman, oh, isn't she? Enormously. Yeah, yeah. Of course, she doesn't believe she's enormously intelligent and, and, and uh, enormously creative. You mm. should see the, the artwork she does, you know, because I use, the, I use the, the, her artwork for the cover of the book. Now it's kind of concealed under the... Uh, but the next, I, I, have some, I have some lovely stuff for the next volumes mm. that, I, that I will use. But her family life was difficult afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, her mother was very critical and cruel, but, she, but you know, yeah. girls, girls will always want the approval of their mother. That's evolutionary. Yes. And yeah. boys will want the approval of their dad, but both parents are very important, but there is that pull towards one. So the mother was always critical mm. of her. But she was very unfortunate in that... Um, I, I think it was at a dance she met this man who was uh, very charming... You always want watch the charming ones who want a quick commitment. They're generally controlling. So she married this man, uh, and it was extraordinary. He, he was an extremely controlling person, 
Uh, so, and they're like Jekyll and Hyde. So you marry the nice Jekyll and then you suddenly find you're living with a nasty Hyde, you know. But she understood nothing of that. When she came to me, and she was 60 at the time, uh, I think around 60, uh, she, she didn't realise she was being controlled. And he controlled her by his, his being a victim. Uh, and her, she married into this farm, and that was quite common, uh, and always with bad results, or generally with bad results, because the parent-in-law were controlling. Now, this woman, um, he, he showed her nothing about the farm. When she was pregnant, she, she used to have to walk to the bus two miles, uh, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't bring her in the car. Uh, and he was buying machinery because he, he was narcissistic, if you like, but on a good show, and the farm fell into debt. And uh, there's a lot in the book about the auction. It was a, a big mm, trauma for her. Yeah. She worked three jobs. This is a woman with quaternary structure who had three jobs. She had a full day job, she worked at the weekend, and she worked at night. And she was a mother. And she was a mother of, yeah. of five children. So the farm, uh, the auction came about where they were going to sell the machine. Now, she hid the tractor. She's a great sense of humor. So she hid the tractor. She's a very inventive woman. I've never met anybody like her. You know, I've mm. a huge admiration for her. And she poo-poo's all this kind of stuff. So she hid the tractor. She knew nothing about farming because he showed her nothing. So, so uh, she stood there on a January day in the freezing cold. The electricity had been co- cut off. She put little mattresses around the, the stove uh, in, 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 in the kitchen and they slept there to stay warm. Uh, and she stood in the yard in the freezing cold, holding a baby with the other children around her as, as farm equipment was being sold. And what did her husband do? You'd expect him, spineless, to be in the uh, to be there helping her. What did he do, Fran? He went to the doctor, and he said he was really depressed. And the doctor was all sympathy, sent him off to hospital. The nurses pampered him in hospital, and were all sympathy for him while she was there trying. She to, was up there to deal with. She this. was trying to deal with that. And in those days, women were poorly regarded. Yeah. Uh, so she 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 managed to. She had. She was able. She had ten calves, I think. Now, she needed to, to fatten them and sell them but the father-in-law had the, had the uh, I don't know what she said, the red book or some kind of books uh, because the son owed him money and the father wouldn't give them to her uh, and she and Dyer and her father-in-law, I should say, wouldn't give them to her. Well, eventually she got them and, and uh, she fattened the calves. She got some meal, somebody uh, gave her credit. She mm. dealt with the ACC, though they didn't want to deal with her. They said, this is not a woman's work. Yeah. Uh, and and so she successfully saved the farm. Uh, I think she had to pay back the father-in-law, though, didn't she? She had. Where did she get that strength from? With all of her difficulties, where, where did I, that emerge from? I don't from? know where she got it from. She always talked about her core. Yes. So the core was the part that uh, had escaped the abuse, and she always protected the core. So she just had a very strong core. Um, so I don't know where she got it from, but she had it. That's all I know. I don't know how she survived, how she held down three jobs. She had to go back to work quite quickly because there was no money coming in. She had to maintain the agreement when she went in 
was that she would maintain the parents in law. So she had to pay, pay them, and they were as mean. So her husband would buy a bun for himself, and he'd eat the bun, and all the children looking on, his grandchildren looking on him. It was incredible. So all her life, she's still looking after him to this day. Uh, uh, so all her life has been full of trauma. And uh, she's at a better place now, but still, we, we have now, at the moment, this is in Volume 3, we're gone back to using the EMDR. I had to abandon that for five years. Yes. It was just too powerful. Uh, and we, we have now uh, processed the tragic blows for the father, the uncle, and Mr. Important, but we're looking at the um, the abortion right now. And she just blew up the last day with that. She got diarrhea, she was vomiting. Uh, so I didn't see her this week. She felt she needed to... Uh, so this is ongoing, Jim. Oh, it's this ongoing, ongoing, yeah. And I don't know how many more years uh, it's going to take. You're, you're talking about a number of years yet before I would hope to integrate the parts. So the 87 parts are now down to maybe about... Nine or ten, you know. So my God, uh, uh, darkness is one of the parts that intrigued me. Yes, um, that that was like the depression. Is that uh, fair to it's, say? It's, you know? it's, it's like depression. It is a it's a separate part from depression, uh, and there's blackness as well. Yes. Now blackness is a very interesting part. Blackness is the one that held the pain, uh, because they all have a function. Yeah. So Blackness had all the pain, so she didn't feel the pain. The pain was in... And eventually Blackness began to explode with pain. Uh, and uh, I counselled Blackness for maybe several months. And I, I used a particular therapy on EMDR. And my sufferer says, uh, try and use a filter to filter the... And now this sounds bizarre, you know. So we filtered the pain from, from Blackness and eventually... The pain went, and uh, then it became light. A new part was actually created. So I don't actually know where light is at the moment. But Can you explain a little bit about EMDR to me? Is that a form of hypnosis? No, it's no. not. Okay. No, it's not. It's actually the best uh, uh, trauma therapy in the world. Um, and it's only now beginning. It's very big in America. It was founded by Francine Shapiro, who, who died a couple of years ago. Uh, and it was developed... Uh, she was out walking one day, I think she was in the wood and her eyes were moving and she felt different and she began to experiment. So it's kind of based upon REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. We get rapid eye movement sleep every 90 minutes and and it's a very important part of our sleep because if we don't, uh, if it's disrupted, we don't sleep very well. So it's got eight phases. Now, if anybody wants to know about it, I've given my, my yes. email address and I can send an explanation of it. And there is somebody in Clonmel that, that does it. Um, so phase four, is, so you take the history, you do some relaxation techniques, you do a float back to see when do you felt it. But phase four is the, is, is the processing stage where you take the target and you process it. And, and you can measure it. How disturbing is this to you on a scale of not to ten? So if they say eight or nine, now she she was ten, obviously. She had post-traumatic stress um, uh, disorder. She had complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so EMDR will kill off that. Um, it is very dangerous in terms of DID because uh, because it it it. It's not able to process very severe stuff until you have 
actually bought calmness to the okay. to the person and then it'll process it so it'll process 99% of, of trauma right, but it has to be with great care uh, absolute care yeah, yeah absolute care so I was astounded when she was she was being re-traumatised and I, I she also lost her son, Jim, and uh, I mean, how can any? I mean, you must have been in such admiration that any one human being could cope at all with what I was. was inflicted on her. Yeah, but but it was quite distressing for me, apart from her story, because let me put it this way: you never knew who was coming. So it could be a five-year-old. There was there was a five-year-old. She was the Mary part. I call yeah. her Mary. Uh, and would she speak like a five-year-old? Would she have the vocabulary yep. of a five-year-old? Yes, yes, she would. And and uh, when I was uh, when I started to to process Mister Importance abuse, not the abortion, she cowered down on the floor like that with her hands over her head. Fetal position. Yeah, the fetal position, cowering. And uh, but I, I'm used to that because I'm, I'm quite well trained. So that. But what 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 bothered me was. How was she going to get home? This five-year-old was actually driving. And the teen part, the Sally part, we call her Sally, uh, she, she said, oh, you know, she said, I learned how to drive. I've been watching her for years. <laughs> and she oh. would drive. So one day, uh, she came in. I never knew what to expect. That, that was the, the, the disturbing part of it. Um, but I became quite comfortable. But one day she peeped in the door at me and she looked at me and her eyes wide open and said, who are you? And then she shot out. And then she peered in again and into the car. And the car was going up and down my road. I, I live in a very narrow road. Uh, and she was going up and down and up and down. And, and, and uh, that part uh, was a part called Defiant. And it thought that I was the doctor who actually aborted her. My God! So we had we 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 did a lot of work on that. I I I I, I talked to the find many times after that, and finally it, it realised that I wasn't the doctor. It was profusely ashamed and so on. So I I had to in the end insist that she had somebody with her, because now she she can drive on her own now. But because my big fear was she would crash. It just take her nine hours to get home sometimes. You know to go maybe 80 kilometres. Yeah. It's the most incredible story. Um, I know that you would probably play it down, Jim, but what about the effect on you? It had a very distressing effect on me, yeah. And, and you know, if you had a proper... Now, she wouldn't go and see a psychiatrist and depression wouldn't let her see a psychiatrist because depression would see antidepressants as trying to kill it. And it says, I'm not going to be killed, you know. But you, you, you'd need a multidisciplinary team to deal with this. So here was I, <laughs> not a threat of dealing with it. So I was lucky I had Dr. Miller to help me. Uh, and um, the worst part of it for me, not the abreactions, because I would be used to dealing with that, you know, and I would know how to calm them, uh, because uh, in EMDR there's lots of calming techniques. Mm. Uh, it was the uncertainty of would she get home, would she crash, what would happen to her? That was the uh, that was the big thing for me, because once she was home, she was safe enough. The the book is not for the faint-hearted. It's about eight hundred pages, isn't it? It's, yes, it's a, a huge book. Where where is it available, Jim? By the way. Well, you see, I didn't um, I didn't look for a publisher mm. for it. Uh, uh, I, I I published it myself, so 
you get it on Amazon. But if anybody wants the book, if any booksellers want the book, if they contact me, I can get it quite cheaply and I, yes. I'll just give it to them for the, whatever I paid and they, they can make a good profit. Of okay, it. because it's it's yeah. a fascinating read. Yeah. It's yeah. tragic, it's difficult. To, yeah. but it's, and I was probably most taken with her letters, Jim. Yes, well, she would write to the, her father or her yeah. uncle. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, was Mr. Important ever named? Oh, I know his name. You yeah. know his name. I do, yeah. 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 Would, would everybody know his name? Oh, I, well, I mean, he's dead. Don't kill Yes, I know. And I mean, I don't want oh, you to name him. At but the time, he, he was a he very really public well figure. My God. But we have kind of decided we won't reveal who of he course, was. Of course, yes. But it appears there was a paedophile ring. Uh, absolutely, yes, there was, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think the priest in confession was a paedophile, but uh, yeah. he colluded. The priest wasn't involved, but, you know, he did molest her while she was being aborted. Uh, the, this is the, the doctor, not, not the uh, Sorry, the doctor, yeah. I beg yeah. your pardon, yeah. the doctor, yeah. Uh, yeah, the the people, the, certainly those three, the two brothers and and Mister Important, right. yeah, but there were others who colluded, you know. And with respect, the nuns must have suspected. I mean, they were intelligent women; they must have suspected. They wouldn't suspect. Well, they not. No, no. This Mister Important was Mister well Important known. comes and takes a girl out of a class. And yes, well known, well respected, and. My God. Off the record, I'll tell you later about him. All right. Jim, mm. really good to talk to you and congratulations Thank on the most uh, wonderful book. But really, congratulations to Margaret, who's an extraordinary woman. Yes, yeah, she is. Extraordinary yeah. human being. Yeah. Jim, thanks Thanks very much indeed. You're very welcome. Thanks. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.i Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, well, huge reaction to uh, Jim's conversation with me this morning. Lots of people wanting to know more about the book. The book is called Emerging from the darkness and it really is an incredible journey of a woman of more than ordinary courage and uh, her many faces I suppose and uh, it's it's just the most uh, incredible but heartbreaking story and I would warn you about that um, okay lots of uh, people on to us about it yes it's Dr Jim O'Shea and Jim is in Thurs but he's a retired counsellor and therapist just to add that uh, as well alright let us move on and it's time to talk farming and delighted to be joined as always by Katrina Morrissey editor of uh, the Farmers Journal good morning to you Katrina Good morning, friends. Good to talk to you today. Can we begin with that story, that weaning trade on fire? Mark prices up €200 Euro per head. What's happening there, Katrina? Um, <laughs> there's a debate over whether people are losing their heads when they go into the march. But, yes, yes. Um, as you say, weaning prices up in that kind of top quality 300, 400 kilo animal. They're, they're making €1,340 Euro a head, which is an exceptional wow. price to be bringing home for an individual weanling. Um, that equates to about €3.53 Euro per kilo, and it's €200 Euro or £0.50 cent a kilo higher than the same week in last year. About a third of the weanlings in the country would be sold in spring. The two-thirds, the bulk of the trade would be in the autumn because they would be spring-born um, calves. The ones that have been sold at the minute are the autumn-born calves, and it's a, a really, really good price for them. It's been driven by a few things. 
Um, there are individual farmers buying them. There are uh, feedlots that will be associated with factories. They're in the market buying them. Um, and there are finishers, uh, people who have grass coming on the farms and live exporters is the other one. So a lot of combinations of buyers there, but a phenomenal trade. And, you know, I suppose it comes with a slight health warning mm. because if you're buying at that price now, weaning of that age, and you'll be thinking that that animal will be finished for the factory at around 24 months, at that time, you would be needing a beef price of over six euro a kilo right. to break even. So, just a little note of caution there. You know, good prices are great, obviously, mm. but that animal still has to be finished. There's lots of cost involved in that, and and people would probably just want to sit down and do their sums before they go go mad buying a lot of the very expensive ones. Of course, but the fallout from this is when we go to buy our beef. Then I guess as well, uh, prices will be driven up. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, we do export a lot of beef as well. So yes. it's demand both within Ireland and across Europe. So um, there is, I suppose, events in Turkey this week, absolutely, mm. you know, devastating um, yes. earthquake in Turkey. That that could have some implication for the Wienland trade as well, because Wienlands from Ireland do get sold to Turkey. So we're waiting to see. We will we'll have more on that in next week's paper. But, you know... Markets can change very quickly, as we know, as we've seen. Mm, 2022 yeah. was, I suppose, the best example of that. Sure. Um, farming contribution to GDP, gross domestic uh, product as well, continuing uh, to grow. This may surprise people to some some degree, Katrina. Yeah, I suppose Ireland's our, our GDP, it's, it's an economic um, estimate of how the economy is going. It, growed, it grew, sorry, it showed growth of over 10% in the mm. last quarter of 2022. Um and overall, it means that, you know, pre-pandemic, there's been a 40% increase in the GDP for Ireland. A lot of that is made up of the multinationals, sure. the tech sector. Um, but there is also an increase there in uh, the growth in export of goods. So that's, you know, proper physical things um, built, grown, produced here in Ireland. And agriculture is, is you know, making a bigger proportion of those physical items. Um, so the trend there has been that up to September last year uh, was much bigger than 26, 2017, sorry, 2016, 2017 or 2018. Yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, agriculture's contribution to the bottom line then is considerable. And will that play into the argument that farmers have about how they're being sort of badly done to at times? Well, look, at the end of the day, and farmers say this, but it gets dismissed, you know, sometimes in favour of the multinationals and the tech sector. But farming is Ireland's biggest indigenous industry. You yes. know, it accounts for a huge output. We saw exports, I think 13 billion was the board BIA figure yeah. for food and drink exports last year. Hundreds of thousands of jobs, hundreds of thousands of towns, networks and, you know, local economies that require um, agriculture, farming, you know, the March towns like Care and Cashel, the bigger towns like Clonmel where farmers go in and do all of their yeah. shopping and yeah. spend their money you know, it can never be... Unfortunately, it does get underestimated or it gets dismissed quite quickly because we're looking at it all the time in favour of, you know, some shiny buildings up in the, the docks mm. in Dublin for the tech companies. But it's a huge, huge part of the economy and, and a very important one. 
Right, and, uh, you know, I mean, the vulnerability of the tech companies and the like, I mean, farming will be always with us, uh, and it's important to keep We hope, friend, yes, we yes, hope, you know. <laughs> yes, in, in whatever fashion that will be. Uh, yeah. Your factory is wanting to cut uh, beef farm emissions by 30% as well. That's by 2030, right. I think, is it? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Um, so yet another target for farmers to meet, set mm. by someone for uh, for them. So the beef factories, uh, there was an event this morning meeting to Charlton in Baggett Street, um, publishing its Beef Sector Sustainability Report and its plan for between here and 2030. Mm. Um, all companies found have three types of emissions that they're expected to control. They're called Scope 1, Scope 2 and Scope 3. So in the case of a, a meat factory, Scope 1 is you know the emissions from the factory process itself, whatever energy it's using. Scope 2 then is related to its transport chain and, and the supply chain. Mm. And Scope 3 is the raw material and the emissions linked to that. So in the case of a meat factory, their Scope 3 emissions is actually the farm even though that's not technically right. under control of the factory, but they are expected to have some input on it. They're saying, Meat Industry Ireland, which is the representative body of all the meat factories, that they want to cut beef farm emissions by 30% between now and 2030. That would tally with you know the overall national plan for agriculture, but I suppose it's a, yet another target that farmers are being set. Mm. Um, it has very strong implications for what they do on farm. One of those things would be things like uh, reducing the age of the animals at slaughter. So going away from animals that are over 30 months of age, coming back down closer to 22 or 23 months of age. Um, More genetic research, using the best type of animals, you know, picking the best pedigrees, genotyping them, knowing what the good traits are for emissions and for faster growing and for quicker finishing, applying all that on the farm. And are there incentives for that? I mean, with the early slaughter, for example, are there bonus payments there? If... So this is the crux of the matter. Um, there is an under-30-month bonus system there in place. Um, we get the impression from Meat Industry Ireland that they would much prefer if it was a penalty for animals over 30% than an incentive for animals under 30 But farmers will say, you know, it costs more. It requires a lot of management on our part. It requires change on our part to produce an animal that is capable of being finished significantly less than 30 30 months um, because it also, in some cases, if an animal went out to grass for a summer, Mm. that's the cheapest feed an animal can get. But if that pushes it over 30 months of age, they could be, you know, that that price bonus incentive to be under 30 months doesn't Uh, apply. You lose money. But yet, from a farmer's input cost point of view, Feeding cattle, finishing cattle off mainly grass is the cheapest possible way to do it rather than feeding expensive um, concentrate feed. So that's the crux of it. It costs more to finish animals earlier. So farmers will maintain that they should get a better price for the animal at the end of the day than if they you know, did the, lo- the slower, slower growing animal off grass. Interesting. Can I finally ask you about the Dawn Meat uh, possible takeover of Kildare Chilling? Uh, that's been notified to the authority, the competition authority, hasn't it? That's right, and yeah. that's a formal thing that has to happen. We've been waiting for it. We first uh, reported the, the Dawn Meat yeah. takeover of Kildare Chilling. I think it's two weeks ago now. Um, they have officially this week notified the CCPC, which is the competition authority, that they intend to take control of it. That has to happen because, as we discussed before, you know, cutting out Kildare Chilling as an independently owned factory 
it being bought by a large conglomerate like Dawn Meats reduces the competition right. because Dawn Meats is not going to compete. Dawn Meats in Kildare is not going to compete with Dawn Meats down in Grenada and Waterford sure. yeah. on price. So taking out an independent player like Kildare Chilling is a matter for the competition authority to make sure that it is not going to reduce competition by too much. Kildare is a big player um, mainly in the sheep side. It does about 4% of the national cattle kill, but it does 20%. So one in every five lambs that's processed in this country goes through Kildare Chilling. So taking that out will have an effect. It was known for paying good prices. Um, So farmers would be very anxious that the the takeover does not result in less competition for their animals and therefore less price. Very interesting. All of what we spoke about there and much, much more, of course, in the current edition of uh, the journal and it's on shelves right now. Katrina, always good to talk to you. Thank you. Good morning to you. Thanks, friend. How about you now? Katrina Morrissey there, Tipperary woman, of course, editor of the Farmer's Journal. News and information is on the way very, very soon. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecone, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on, on 067 24111 or Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Now, of course, we're with you every single weekday morning from 9. And this morning, I spoke to Father Iggy O'Donovan uh, about calls to stop referring to God as a he and adopt a more gender-neutral uh, term, I suppose. Here's a little of what he had to say to us this morning, just after 9 o'clock. Okay, the language of our scripture is, by and large, very much a male language. It was bound to be because the society out of which it became. And then, of course, in particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, but also in others, the domination was totally by the male. And we even today in the 21st century, we have a male celibate priesthood, mm. even now, even where other churches have moved on there. But... So the question of God and the language like the where he is usually referred to as father and so forth, this is human language and people when coming up with concepts of God could only use the language that they knew, the language that they understood. And the image of God I, I would one of my I don't know, Fran, if you're into art at all, mm-hmm. but one of the great masterpieces of the history of the world is the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Yes, And there, Michelangelo, genius though he was, paints his image of creation and God. And God in that one is an elderly man in the clouds with a great white beard, reaching out to Adam, the famous finger touch Mm. Mm. scene there. So, So brilliant is it that you can hardly imagine it happening any other way. There is a Great example of Michelangelo, his image of God is the old man, benevolent old man in the clouds, a sort of a Santa Claus figure, mm. look, looking benevolently down and creating us and getting us on the road, meaning that we don't... This would, now, we, we now know, for example, that we have been evolving around here for millions of years, and the whole concept of God as we know him and religion as we know it only arrived yesterday, literally, in, in terms of 
in, in terms of the evolving history. Yes. We, we are a very recent arrival. The language we use is very much male language. And I don't have any problem, Fran, if it comes to adapting it to changing times and circumstances because we're learning. There's always more to learn. There's always more to learn, says uh, Father Iggy O'Donovan to us this morning just uh, after nine o'clock. 1800 Now, glad to be joined in studio as usual on Thursday by Muriel Cuddy, who is CEO of Morito 8020, the clinic in uh, Clonmel. Good morning to you, Muriel. Morning, Fran. Uh, good to see you this morning. Um, you are so busy at the moment because you're doing some screening and you're doing that nationwide, I think, are you? Yeah, so the, that was always part of, that's, I suppose, the original side of the business that we have been involved for the last 10 years so yeah. that's still there and I suppose we haven't given that up Fran because that's what would you say that's the passion that's like where everything stems from and we've been in 13 different locations in the last two weeks so out early in the morning we see probably between 35 and 40 people a day right. uh, come through the screen so and Are these companies who hire you to screen employees? Absolutely is that? absolutely. Okay. Yeah. so the companies yeah. that bring us in every year Some the company we're in the minute brings us in every six months which is totally fantastic. Like That means when somebody comes in to see us in six months' time, we're back in again to see them. So if they're in trouble, they have us like on that kind of you know mm. um, consistency or whatever. Mm. So if somebody's going wrong or the health marker's going wrong, uh, they have a chance to rightify it and we're back again. They actually come in, some of them come in bouncing in the door like, I'm dying to, you know, you're back girls, I'm dying to see how I'm getting on. Others, this is actually really funny. We had a girl um, Monday or Tuesday of this week, we were actually screening the Monday because we were in the north and it wasn't a bank holiday yes. in the north. But she got married early December and she came in, she bounced in the door full of the joys and all the bits and pieces, lovely girl, long blonde hair and whatever. And she went through the health check and everything had gone wrong literally since she got married. Oh my. And we were looking at each other and we were like, oh my God. Because we could see, you know, I could see her face as it went to fall and she said, I have two stone weight put on since I got married in early December. And I didn't know what to say to her friend. I was like, um, yeah. yeah. And she said, everything, body fats, her blood pressure was high, all the bits and pieces. And she looked and she said, Jesus, I was so happy. She said, maybe marriage isn't for me or whatever. <laughs> well, we burst out laughing, but she actually yeah. got a, a control, an uncontrollable fit of the giggles or whatever afterwards. But that's just one right. other side of it. Do you come across that with people who get married that they tend to... Oh, you know, yeah. Like we, we say, don't get married. And we, we won't say don't get married. We actually say, don't lose the weight for the wedding. Yeah. Because yeah, like yeah. you're this beautiful girl or bride or groom at the top of the aisle, like, and everything looks fantastic and all the bits and pieces. Yeah. So you go in honeymoon then, and maybe you're pregnant with him, whatever, or he's after putting on two stone on honeymoon or whatever. And you're looking at each other and you're thinking, Jesus, who do they marry? Who do they marry? Whereas yeah. you do it all afterwards. Right. You're going to look at each other and say, yeah, God, I'm really right. after getting. But it's not something that she can't deal with. Well, example. you know, the you, fact you that you she got it straight away, like, yeah. she said to us, you know, this is only two months in. I wasn't taking any notice. She said, I've been yeah. living in leggings and jumpers or whatever. But now this is only like the first week in February. She's going on holidays in June. Right. So she said, I'll pull it so back. So she has a goal. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Immediately, yeah. But it was what else funny. are you seeing when you're screening, uh, Muriel? There was one that really frightened us and we see a lot of this, right? And this, I suppose, feeds into the health service. Yeah. And the fact that the health service is um, so overwhelmed or whatever at the minute. One guy showed up, he was in, he actually booked in the first, the minute the screen opened he was first to book his place in the screen, right? Um, when he came to us last year his blood pressure was sky high and his cholesterol was was, was out of out of parameter as well. Uh, we suggested he go to his GP, get the 24 hour blood pressure monitor etc on um, and see what he needed to do next to, to deal with it or whatever. So he did go to the GP. He actually said to us when, we, when he came in just the other day, we said well how are you getting on? He said look I'll show you. I went to my GP, put the 
the 24-hour monitor on and this is what I got back. So you got back an automated text that said, dear, um, who the guy was, the results of your test are by and large reasonably satisfactory. And I said to him, that's it. What else did you get? He said, nothing. I said, did anybody... Reasonably satisfactory. Reasonably satisfactory. What does that mean? I don't know. I said, did they sit you down and talk you through the peaks and troughs of blood pressure and how it works? No. Did anyone give you advice on how to lower your blood pressure? No. Did they say to you, when a follow-up is due, listen, come back to us in six months or three months or whatever? He said, no. And he said, I'm worried about it since. So th- to me, that's just not good enough at all, Fran, you know? So we talked him through it and went through it all with him. He said, what's the point in me going back um, mm. to my GP? What am I going to get? So what happens next? He gets a heart attack, he gets a scare and he presents at A&E. Like our A&E's are completely overwhelmed as it is. Then you know? I'm sure most GPs are more vigilant than than that. But is it, has it become a problem that we're either on the phone to a GP or we're depending on messages from the well, GP? I, I actually think um, I think the whole health service is overwhelmed. Mm. So I'm not giving out about GPs mm. or or mm. the health service. I just think that man reached out for help and he didn't get help. Mm. Another guy came in and he was in his 40s, early 40s, um, really down the dumps. Uh, he said he was felt really depressed, etc. He had put on about two stone weight. He didn't know what to do about it. He said he didn't look great and all the bits and pieces. He went to his GP as well and he asked like for nutritional advice. Um, his GP, in fairness, put him onto the um, nutritionist mm. in HSE. Uh, this is a year and a half later. He hasn't heard anything back. A year and a half. Uh, year and a half, yeah. So he went back again to him and he said, listen, what's the story? You know, can I get help? I need to speak to somebody or whatever. And they said, well, there's a long waiting list. You do know that. So I just think, what, that, where's the preventative side? If we don't actually start working on the preventative side, this uh, is just going to escalate. Like, so it's not surprised you to know that A&E is overflowing? No, well, I just think, no, not at all. And I, I, what, what, what I suppose really kills us because we're seeing so many people and so many people are in trouble, but so many people want the education and support. Yes. So many people don't want to take tablets. They don't want to go into their doctor and be offered a tablet. They want to know, how do I fix this? How will I be okay? They've, like you, you, We have all lived with like family members that have had cardiac and diabetes and all mm. the different bits and pieces. We know how it presents. You don't want to be like that, you know. So I suppose for us, the companies, and I, I'm definitely people that are listening in companies that bring in companies to do health screens, they deserve such a pat on the back. Mm. And I know people that go are, are out there and they're looking at the wellness packages and everything. It is really important. Yes. Because if you don't have people that come in and educate you and support you, where do you right. get well, it from? Well, it's in the interest of companies to have a healthy staff. Well, this guy know? that came in yesterday on the nutrition the nutrition side, he was so anxious, he was depressed. Now, I sat with him for about 40 minutes and I went through every single thing, tried to give him as much as I could possibly give him. Mm. I hope he's gone back to work better. As in, like, he's, he's going to do a follow-up Zoom with me mm. now, whatever, in a month's time. I hope I've given him a little and he feels that there's more there that he'll, you know, he'll be able to get help as mm. time goes on. So he's gone back a better employee. You know, because that depression oh. has lifted to some extent. So the investment is worth it for... for oh, for totally, Fran. Totally, totally. Do you get guys, and, and women as well, bouncing into you thinking that they have no issues whatsoever, this is just a matter of uh, a formal thing, and they just want to get it out of the way because they're perfectly healthy? You do, but you know what? Some of them, like, you knock the legs out from under them. And it's like, you don't know what to say then when they're actually looking at it. Like, one person said to me, my scales was completely out. Like that, your scales is <laughs> our scales, like is a body analyzer. And she, no way, she said, my yeah. scales at home says I'm so. 12 stone. You're telling me I'm 14 stone, and you're looking at him like you're looking at me there. Like, my hand, my chin is on my hand, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, well, it's only a number, 
that's literally right. what you say, you know, and it's it's a snapshot. But the bottom line is your right. visceral fat is out or your body fat is okay, out. Okay, but we don't want to believe this. We, we don't. We tell ourselves, don't we? We do get people oh, brand that are healthy. Um, and, and, you know, yes, they come in because they're really healthy and they want to get the stats and they want to get their metabolic age 15 years younger mm. and all the bits. And you know what? Fair play to them because they do the simple things right. And it's not even people that are running marathons and whatever. It's like they're consistent. They eat three meals a day. They eat genuinely well. 20% mm. of the time they might have their takeaways and stuff. But they do just the simple things right. Now, saying that, some of the time they're people that aren't stressors. Okay. So people that are stressors definitely tend to go off the bile on the other side because how do you actually bring down that stress level in the evening? How do you manage, manage anxiety? And that's where we use the takeaways. We use the takeaways and the food and we overthink things and it's not even the takeaways and food. If you're a stressor, it does affect the gut. It does affect the body. It does affect the health markers, you know, so your blood pressures and things like that. Those lucky devils as well who seem to be skinny all the time no matter what they eat. Um, Are they in danger of taking their health for granted because they're skinny if you know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally, yeah. Because we get people like visceral fat levels. So if I'm looking at um, a report in front of me, hydration status, visceral fat, they're things I look at before I even look at the body fats, etc. You know, because internally we worry about the, the health markers and that. Some people have high levels of visceral fat and their body fat could be like, you know, in, mm. in the green or whatever. And that's like largely from a processed diet. So you're talking about like refined carbohydrates, saturated fat, etc. So you could live in McDonald's and you could look very slim mm. and skinny and whatever it is, but your health markers go wrong. That's one of the things that bothers me about the weight loss um, side of things. Do you remember the, the, mm. the, the injection? And in yes. Because um, if you get that and it's just given to you without any support or without the, the nutritional advice to actually change eating habits, where will you end up if you stay living on Red Bull and croissants right. and the weight comes off? Well, you tell me, Muriel, well, where will you end up? The health markers will go wrong. Like the workshops I've been to, I've actually highlighted this. I've said, listen, lads, if somebody stays on this for the next whatever or you're giving it to them for life like a statin, yes, it will reduce X amount of weight. But if their eating habits are still wrong, well, the body isn't going to function. Their cholesterols, blood pressures, mm. um, sugars, like of course they're going to go through the roof. You know, the body can't manage that. So to, the two have to go hand in hand. We've got to eat properly. Mm. Mm. And, and that's not rocket science. Right. 1980 wasn't that long ago, right? I was around in 1980. You were around in 1980. I'm afraid so. Pre-1980s or the early 1980s, mm. like most people were slim. If we go back that far, like you didn't see this whole obesity, overweight crisis or mm. whatever. Mm. So how were we able to manage then and we can't manage now? And like we're only talking about 40 years later. So you know, what, what is the issue now? Well, I suppose the availability of food is one of the things. The fact that all these fast foods, like 1980s, you wouldn't have found food in um, filling stations and you wouldn't no. have found like a takeaway that you could actually drive through. Mm. Like we drove through Acosta the other day. <laughs> we ran out yes. the window to get our coffee. Now, yes, I know it's convenient or whatever, but like lack of steps, you know, yes. food so convenient. We didn't have Chinese restaurants, we didn't have Indian restaurants. We didn't. And, and, and you know, yeah. it's all gone so easy. And this word stressed, oh my God, if I hear the word stressed, two things I've heard so much of the last two weeks, right? Stressed and ham and cheese sandwiches. Two things. So everybody's living on ham and cheese sandwiches and everybody's stressed, right? Mm. Yeah. There's a combination. There's a combination, yeah. But the word stressed, even our younger generation are starting to use it. What is stressed? What is anxiety? What is being depressed? Like there's a big, there's a big gap mm. between somebody being like seriously depressed and, and, and anxious and then this word that's stressed, you know. Yeah. So we maintain we deserve all of these things that we're eating or whatever that weren't there in the 1980s. But all they're doing is killing us. Like all they're doing is just driving us insane. So the advice is, is, is what, Muriel? What is the advice? I've said it so many times know, in the last couple of weeks. Literally, yeah. it's back to the basics, basics of yeah. literally 
Don't overthink it. Just simplify it. If you do the simple things right, it's literally like seven or eight hours sleep at night, mm. drink more water, like cut down on the coffees and things like that. And it's three meals a day. If you can do three meals a day, like forget about, yes, we, we do intermittent fasting, we do all the other things. Forget about all of them. Just eat three meals a day that have maybe three or four ingredients in each meal. And you know what's in them. Mm. So like you look at the back of something, if it's a loaf of brown bread, you can actually pick out buttermilk, your flour, your bits and pieces. It's not a slice pan with 14 or 15 ingredients. So if we just pull back and do the simple things right off, think, would I, would I have had that 30 years ago? Like rich tea biscuit with butter is fine. You don't need a bar that's low cal, low slim, low fat, low sugar with 45 ingredients in the back of it, you know. Right, that so you don't know what, what those ingredients are. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Um, last week, of course, we uh, were down with you and we had a wonderful experience, really, of witnessing how, how the whole thing works in, in terms of those injections, the anti-wrinkle injections, as they're, they're called. How, how was our, our subject after that? Um, Trisha was brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's going to come in next week. Is she? Yeah, yeah she's yeah. going to sit and have a chat. But, you know, it's funny, we had got a lot of um, phone calls after afterwards mm. um, and I spoke to a lot of people so men and women and I have to stress that because this is equally important for men as it is for women mm. because people mm. seem to think the aesthetic world is just for the women and the wrinkles and yeah. all the bits and pieces and there was a lot of different questions but one of the big ones that came to the fore a lot I suppose this was more even for women now with men we have a lot in relation to um, the erectile dysfunction and mm. like the PRP injections and what you could do on that side but for women the facial lines and the wrinkles um, the, the tone in the skin and the texture and all of that kind of thing and I'm not just talking about the face Fran I'm talking but like um, if you've had babies, mm. men that have lost weight, that mm. loose skin uh, under the arms, inner thighs, under the bum, all of that kind of thing. Got a lot of questions on that, like um, what's there that is non-invasive? What can we actually do? So if you lose collagen and elasticine, what actually happens? And, you know, how can you replace it mm. and that? And like that, that's really good because for us, you can do Profilo. You, there's there's things there that you can actually do. That um, it's the only product actually that's out there at the minute that's capable of stimulating the natural production of of all the collagen that's in the body. Mm. How does collagen deplete? Going back to what we were talking about a minute ago. Well, sugar is one of the main things. Is it? Yeah. Sun is another one. Yeah. Smoking is another one. Ageism. Age. Yeah. yeah. Ageism. Yeah. But sugar speeds up. Does speeds. It? Yeah. Mm. Speeds all of that up like unbelievably. Mm. But like that's non-invasive. And you can do something like Profilo. Like I've had Profilo done just here, like I'm finding at my chest, mm. guys, right? And it lasts about two years. You you notice it straight away. But what you actually notice over time is, you know, if you're looking at areas that like are getting old mm. uh, and you're kind of All thinking to yourself, do, like, yeah. where did that appear from? Where did that? <laughs> this this is just brilliant that it actually just, it just brings it back to where it would have been. So okay. it's like you're pump, pump, pumping up the fat kind of in it right. again. And you, you know? notice that straight away. Straight do. away, straight oh. away, yeah. Now, th- that's like... um increasing what's going on underneath the skin to make you look better and look, make you look look younger or back mm-hmm. a little younger again. Mm. The other thing is um, you have to work on two sides. So like toxin overload and gut imbalances and um, food allergies and deficiencies, the two go hand in hand. So when people would ring me up and they talk about skin challenges and what's going on or whatever, there's often something deeper going on. You know, like dry, scaly patches mm. in the skin and mm. stuff. Like, is there creams for it? And is there injections that work or whatever? But like things like that could be excess sugar. You know, um, it's a thyroid function, dry skin. So it could be an underactive thyroid. So there's loads of different things. Deficiencies, like mm. that, the body. That's one of the things we found in screening in the last two weeks. Malnourishment. Like you think malnourishment wasn't a word that you'd actually use 
in Ireland. But I'm actually finding malnourishment is, is a word I'm using again and again and again with people, even that are overweight. Yeah. And that just creates... But, but does that mean they're just not getting the right nutrients? Yeah, they're literally, their diet is so bad that they're yeah. not getting getting into what they need. Can I just run down through yeah, here please, how yeah. malnourishment affects different parts of the body or whatever? So your eyes, right? So dark circles are bags under your eyes. It's an allergy or food intolerance or dehydration. It can be, okay? Poor night vision could be a deficiency in vitamin A. Uh, ruptured blood cells in the eyes could be vitamin C. Um, nat- or the nearsightedness, vitamin D and zinc. Pale lower eyelid is iron. So like there's so many of these, like if you go to your go to your muscles and giants, muscle cramping. This is when we spoke about the other day. If we didn't take a supplement for it, and even though we think we eat well, mm. what which supplement would we miss the most if we, if we left it out of our diet for a week or two? Mm. Um, and we all said magnesium. So, you know, the twitching in bed at night and yes. the restless feet and all of that kind of thing. Well, muscle, muscle cramping is magnesium, vitamin, vitamin B1, B2 and B6. Twitching, again, the same thing, magnesium, the B vitamins, little calcium. Um, swelling, so, you know, the ankles are that kind of thing, especially as we get older. B vitamins again, B1 and B6 and potassium. Potassium's a big one. And we see a lot like in the hydration status. So if you're very dehydrated, chances are your potassium levels, etc. are not where they need to be. Overhydration can actually cause that too, to be honest. We'll do something on that one mm. of the days, Fran. Mm. Numbness or tingling, again, vitamin B12 and, vit- and, and vitamin B5. So you're listening to the B vitamins coming to the fore a lot here. Um, and then clicking giants is man- manganese. So like there's so many, I could go on all day here, like your skin bumps on the back of the arm, vitamin A. Now another one for that is dairy. Mm. Dry or rough skin, vitamin A and E. Unusual nosebeads, vitamin C. Easy bruising, vitamin C. Acne during menstruation, vitamin B. So I could go on all day, like you could talk about around the mouth, teeth and gums, the hair. So, like, malnourishment is a big deal. So we're talking about our diet to aesthetically look well. Our diet, like, is so important on so many different levels because the body is like a fine-tuned car. It needs certain things. And, you know, one of the things that it differs in relation to a fine-tuned car, it comes back so fast. Yes. Yeah. So, like, your liver and your kidneys and all the different bits and pieces in the gut, they actually, like, they, they de- 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 mm. de- detoxify, repair. Everything comes so back. So you can a make month. a difference to you yourself. You can make yeah. a difference, yeah. yeah but it's very interesting indeed. If people want to talk to you, Muriel, or contact you, how, how can they do Yes, that? so they can call us on 052-61-48881. Okay, so just give me that again. That's, uh, yeah, 052-61-48881. Yeah. Double eight one. Double eight one. Actually, right. some people came into clinic and gave out to me for giving out the number too fast. Did so they? Um, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, so I need were, to were you suitably chastised? I was suitably chastised. Very good indeed. Good. All right, great to see you, Muriel. Thanks very Thanks, much friend. indeed, Muriel Cuddy there of Marito eighty twenty. It's eleven twenty four. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Some more of your messages to us. Uh, Listener says, there's never any debate on any other major religion, only Catholicism. While change within the church is imminent, uh, it seems to be a free-for-all to attack it of late. Nobody dares to question the Muslim faith, for example, and uh, some of that uh, very extreme. Uh, Thank you for your, your text. In fact, it was Church of England that seems to be having this ongoing uh, a debate about the gender 
neutral reference uh, to God. Um, Fran, where disabled parking is concerned, um, let me just find this for you again. Um, some of the, the spaces in town are in the middle of other parking spaces and therefore it makes it impossible to open a back door to let down a ramp. And these uh, spaces are not long enough either for vehicles or vans that are modified for wheelchairs, etc. Fran, people who can park in a disability spot also need to be vigilant as we were accosted by people in other disability cars because they didn't see our sticker, says one of our listeners. Uh, Lovely to hear from uh, Annette, who's in Pecan today, and she says, I had to get a disability badge. I was embarrassed by it at first, but I got used to it and uh, not able to get in or out of my car. Uh, was a huge problem. I would not go shopping because I couldn't manage to walk the distance. We don't ask uh, much, just some considerations, says Annette. And uh, another uh, listener on to us to say, at a recent sitting of Thurles District Court, people were put off uh, the road for parking in a disabled parking bay. Well done indeed there. Frank, could you say congratulations to the Camogie Association Media Volunteer and Referee Awards 2023 in Croke Park, representing Tipperary, uh, Kira Burke, Burgess Duharit Club, who won Tipperary Volunteer of the Year, Mike Ryan from Burzai Lee, and uh, Munster Camogie, who won the Photography Award, and Mike Ryan of uh, Nina Airog, who picked up his All-Ireland Final Medal for 2022 uh, Glenn Dimplex All-Ireland Premier Junior Championship Final Now my old friend Eamon O'Dwyer is in Ross Grey for this week's uh, Down Your Way he's at the Auburn Lodge there a place I know very well too Here's just a little taste of what you can expect this Saturday morning We want to talk to Francis Murphy we're here, of course, in the lounge here tonight, but right across the road from where we are, Fantastic Central St. Cronin's. Francis, you're very welcome to Down Your Way. Thanks, Eamon. And uh, on behalf of the um, Parents uh, Concert Fundraising Committee, I'd like to welcome you here, uh, especially to the Auburn Lounge. And uh, I'd also like to welcome uh, all our um, service users and their families here tonight. And uh, delighted to see so many um, representatives of local organisations here who are helping us out with this fundraising. I'd also like to acknowledge uh, Lou Ryan and Teresa and their family for allowing us here in the Auburn Lounge and uh, uh, like St Cronin's they play a huge part here in the local community. Uh, it's, it's, it's a centre of a hub and it's very important uh, centre you know, to keep community uh, going here in the locality. Absolutely yeah. and of course uh, uh, a major fundraising drive it is yeah it's it's a big fundraising event uh, which um, was uh, the brainchild of Mary Friend and she approached uh, us parents uh, a good few weeks ago and asked us would we come on board uh, to help try and sell tickets and um, to uh, promote the uh, front the concert uh, which is featuring the Ormond Octaves and uh, various uh, artists which has been uh, run on the 17th of February here in the local church in Ross Grey. It must be a very special occasion for the town of Rossgrey and for, for the community around it. It is because uh, St Cronin's plays a vital part here in not, not just Rossgrey but uh, it services all of North Tipperary and parts of Offaly, Leash. Uh, there's four different locations, the main one being in Rossgrey but there is hubs in uh, Nina and Burr. And uh, as a parent of a, a user here, my daughter Orla has been going to the centre for the last uh, nine, ten years. And uh, it provides a, a very important service to, to those individuals and adults uh, in their learning 
absolutely. So tickets are kind of half available at the moment, are they? Tickets are available at various locations throughout uh, Nina, Burr, Templemore, Thurles, and um, various locations outside uh, uh, Super Value and um, various shops and, and uh, in the parish shop in Templemore as well. I know it's going to be very well supported and like even here tonight we have all the groups, all the, all, all the organisations, many of them are here tonight to support the, the whole venture. They are indeed and I'd like to um, pay a tribute to them. Uh, we're overwhelmed with the support that we received from the local communities uh, and the various uh, collectors uh, who have been running fundraising events for Cronin's not just for this occasion but mm-hmm. down through the years. Uh, the annual Churchgate collection, supporter club draws donation boxes which are spread out through various businesses in town. Mm-hmm. Well friends, look at it, I know we're tidy in time even before we start. Uh, it's a pl- pl- privilege to be here with you on, on the programme and all of that and uh, uh, we wish you well and uh, thanks for being with us on Down Your Way. Francis Murphy, ladies and gentlemen. That's Eamon O'Dwyer down your way this uh, Saturday from uh, 10 o'clock. Now, as you know, Bertie's back. He paid his 20 euro. He's back as a member of Fianna Fáil. And seemingly uh, in breaking news, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has softened his stance on uh, Bertie Hearn, who you might remember he previously compared to the convicted drug dealer John Gilligan. And uh, Mr. Varadkar said his comments about Mr. Hearn in the Doyle in 2008 were made at a particular point in time and praised the controversial former Taoiseach's uh, role in the Good Friday Agreement. And uh, Leo went on to say it was not his business who was a member of Fianna Fáil after it was revealed on Wednesday that uh, Bertie had been readmitted to his former party more than a decade after he quit over the findings of uh, the... It was the Mahan Tribunal back then, wasn't it? Um, all right, well, what do you make of that? 83 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1800 938 007. And uh, you're very welcome back. 1800-938-007. Still uh, a lot of our listeners wondering about that book we were speaking to uh, Dr. Jim O'Shea about. It's called Emerging from the Darkness and it's about a woman's uh, struggle with uh, multiple personality disorder. And, um, you know, it often breaks my heart to know that there's people out there listening to us every morning and some of them dealing with the most horrendous things. One of our listeners, Mags, was on to say, Fran, I lived in isolation from the age 3 to 10, I was abused by two older men. I didn't know what they were doing was wrong. And now I simply can't get rid of the amount of hatred that I have to this day. I'm 76 year old, uh, year old now. Isn't that just tragic, isn't it? Absolutely uh, tragic. Anyway, 1800 938 One of my dear friends, Joe Noble, is with me now. Joe, good morning to you. <laughs> How are you? I'm very well indeed, Joe. And oh. I, I'm always following you on social media because you either make me laugh or you make me uh, think that you're gone completely mad at times as well. But, but well, well, yeah. <laughs> I love this one, though, where you're saying that all health uh, care, both private and public, is just gone to shite. And there, <laughs> yeah. there are your words, Joe. It, 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 is it? It is. 
in my opinion, I can hear myself talking back. Oh, can anyway, you? right? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, here it don't matter. Is it, is it putting you off, Joe? Or you want, do you want us to call you back in another number or something? Not at all. Okay. I haven't got another number. <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I mean, come on, like one is expensive enough, says you. <laughs> exactly. So tell me, why why are you saying this, Joe? Well, the health board. They, you know, if you're waiting over three years for you know to get looked after, whatever. Yes. Um, they send you off to someplace private. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, after my experience, it's only like. They're sending us off like that just to cross our name off the list. And yippee, we've done something. We've got her off the list, the waiting list. Right. But are you just onto another waiting list then for, for private care, Joe? Is that it? No, they sent me to Jesus Private Clinic. Right. And um, I went down there. Now, I have to say, they've done a lot. It was me all. Um, they've done a lot on me, a lot of different scans and what have you. And that was grand. And I thought, geez, this is brilliant. Anyway... When she was finished, she said there was three different things going on at the back of the eye. Mm. And I said, well, look, I wasn't expecting that now, to be honest. Um, I thought it was only me, me uh, cataract lenses. I'd got a bit dirty again and needed some cleans, and that was the cause of the drop of sight, right? right. So um, I said, well, look, will you send a report to my GP? Mm. And she wrote down his name, and she said she would. That was last October. I've heard nothing. And, and your GP has heard nothing? Nothing. Um, I got a phone call there about two weeks ago, I think. And it was, I assume she was from the, the what you call the health board mm. or whatever. Mm. And she was asking me about the, the, how I got on. Mm. And she said, have they called you for a, back for a review? I said, no. They never mentioned anything about calling me back. So I told her what they said and so forth, etc. And I told her that my doctor had gotten no results at all. And she said she'd take note of it and that uh, she'd send me out an appointment. And I said for to go back there. And she said no to go back to the Limerick Hospital was that regional. Right. And I said, friend, I still heard nothing. And was that putting you back in a public fashion again then? Yeah. Right, so you went from, from public to private and back to public again? Yeah. Right, But, but I haven't been seen or nothing. Right, but I presume the files, I mean, what about your information? Is that transferring between all these various different people, Joe, or are you starting again when you go to somebody new? I'll be starting again when I, when I go back, I would imagine. Sure, nobody has no... The one that rang me knew nothing. She only knew that I had been sent there and uh, she, she had assumed that I had been called back for a review. But I hadn't. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's that, a load of... Yes, yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I presume, I mean, you know, if you're being sent to a private clinic, uh, the HSE, they're, they're paying full whack to the private clinic, yeah. you can be sure. Yeah, and every one of us was down there that day. They were all after being sent like that. Right. But she gave me a piece of paper coming home um, out of the private clinic thing. Uh, and there's a black dot in the middle of it, and I'm supposed to close one eye and look at that. Oh, don't make me laugh now, Joe. Don't. <laughs> oh, don't, don't, don't. don't. <laughs> you look at that once a week, right? <laughs> and if it goes wonky, <laughs> I have to go straight to an E. <laughs> oh, stop! stop. <laughs> I mean, and how the hell would I get even to an E? <laughs> 
That is so technical. So you have to close one one eye to look at the black dot. Look at the black dot. (laughs) Mind you, I keep forgetting to do it. But anyway, well, she said I can look at the jams at the doors as well. And if they start to go crooked, (laughs) (laughs) the jams in my doors are crooked anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I have to be rushed off to an A&E. I mean, could you imagine me going into an A&E and say, I'm here because the the jams at the doors have gone crooked? (laughs) I mean, come on to here. Oh, my God, that is so funny. Yeah. You'd want to have a sense of humour, though, wouldn't you, really? Uh, sure, look, you have to have a sense of humour nowadays with everything. And are you concerned about the... Con- <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Are you concerned about the condition? Are you, you know... Indeed, I'm not. No. I'm not sure. Hey, if things start to go crooked at this point in my life, <laughs> don't mess with them. But I love, I love that you know, in this day and age of technology and everything is sophisticated. Like you get a black dot going home, and you have to close <laughs> one eye and look at it. And now there's little grids on it. Little teen, she means she squares, okay. and the black dot is in the middle. Have <laughs> 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 to look at the black dot. Sure, if you look at anything long enough for an eye, one eye closed, it's going to move anyway. Yeah, sure. Didn't that happen to the statues years ago? Exactly. Didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. My God, I don't know. No, I don't know the name of Moses, but anyway, they're doing they're doing nothing. So, okay? and can I you don't... see any 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 improvement at all to this this whole health thing, Joe? Is there anything that's you know? No, no, no. The 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 government are too taken up with other issues and what have you, and they seem to always put the health board. Oh, they're great at blathering about it, mm, mm. but they don't do anything about it. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not an isolated case, friend. I have friends that can't get seen. Um, waiting. I mean, everything now seems to be three years. I had a spot in my Jesus' leg, and I had to go to... I didn't want to go, but the nurse wanted me down. And um, he said, well, you could go to a dermatologist, but it's a three-year waiting list. But sure, anything could happen within three years, do I know. Same with me eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be waiting another three years for I get caught in Limerick. And then all you get is letters every now and again. This makes me laugh. Yeah. Do you still want this appointment? Yeah. If yes, tick the box and send it back. What, I know what I'd like to be ticking. But what what do they think happened in the meantime that there was a miraculous recovery? I know. Or Fran, do you know the way I have to go and wait on an operation for my hip, right? Yes, yeah. I lo and behold, I got one of them letters there a few weeks ago. Do you still want this appointment? <laughs> oh, holy Jesus. Well, I ticked the box, but I also wrote on their letter. Did you? I did. I what, said, of can course you tell I me want what, the, Can you uh, tell me what you wrote? I will. Okay. I said, of course I want the appointment. Me hip isn't going to get better, is it? Me bones are thick. So, um, you know, don't be sending me out these stupid letters. Just send me off and let me get seen. Right. But you didn't hear back from them, I'll bet. No. No, no. They sent me another one at one time and I sent it back and then they sent me a letter saying that I never replied. Right. And I had. Yeah, yeah. From an administration point of view, it's completely up the It's wall. a sham. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. They're getting good. But friend, do you know something? Mm. I was I finished school at 13 and I think I'd do better in them offices than half of them. I'm sure you probably would. I'm sure now, you probably would. They're, they're, they're supposed to be educated and they're supposed to be able to do this, that and the other. They can do sweet Danny Adams. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, none of the the computers talk to one another, and you know, the files are all handwritten, and it, it's just I I don't know. Look, at it is too much with these computers, and they blame them then if anything go wrong. She's not didn't the didn't the computers is the person that's feeding them the yeah. information. Is and, wrong. And how, how is the eye now? What's the story there? I mean, are you managing okay? With the eye? Yeah. There's so many things going on with me, so I don't know what the hell is wrong with me. Um, yeah, I'm fine. Like, well, I'm not fine. The sight keeps dropping in it, like, you know, and I'd be looking at the television and all of a sudden it would look blurry. Would it? Yeah, it would, yeah. And then I had, I'd start blinking my eye and I'd get it back again a bit. But is that not very scary, Joe? Nah. No. Sure, yeah. So many things have happened to me. I've had TIAs, I've had all sorts of everything, so nothing scares me now. Yeah. <laughs> no. And the, uh, one of the times I was speaking to you, you were concerned that they were wondering about dementia and all sorts of stuff. And... Oh, I'm still going there. I'm down there now on the 20th of next month. I'm uh, back in Limerick for that, yeah. Uh, and what's the latest with that, Joe? Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm mad anyway, so so <laughs> Um no, I'm yeah. I'm fine. No, they done an MRI on me, uh, front, which I waited over three years for to get it on my brain. Oh anyway, my. Oh yeah, my. I did. And in that three years, if I had been seen sooner, I maybe they, they might have been able to do have done something for me. But now I have extra um, of what they call white spots on the brain since the last time I've done it. And I said to her, "That's affecting my memory." And she says, "Yes." And is your memory affected, Joe? It is. Yeah. I I could be having a conversation with you, Fran, and I could lose my train of, you know, talk in the middle of it. Yeah. And I, I'd be trying to think, oh, Jesus, what was I saying? But you know you, what I mean? We we all do that, Joe. I mean, is, is that... But it, I wish you... Maybe you should go for an MRI. Oh, sure. <laughs> I, I should go for several of them, I'm sure, Joe. <laughs> no, it was, it was found out when I had my first TIA. That's when it was all, was found, it? It was all kind of found out. After that, I kind of went down to... But no, my memory is good. My long-term memory is fantastic. Right. Um, It's only short-term, really. But I... Um, I mean, grand, like birthdays and all that now. I've forgotten dates and mm. things, so mm. I haven't, but I'm all written down. Okay, yeah. And and I haven't stuck to the inside of the press door, so like if I think, what month is this? Oh, I better check me, me piece of paper. But you, you, know. you're not getting stressed over this, Joe? No. No. You're just... No, nothing stresses me now. Yeah, but it's not a great way to be. Friend, you have to think positive, regardless of what, you know, is thrown at you. And God knows there's been a hell of a lot of things thrown at me. But you have to think positive. If you go down the road of, oh, God, poor me, type, I don't believe in that shite style. Yeah. Uh, if you go down that road, you're going to get worse. It's like the only way I can describe it is if you had a toothache and you sat down and you're starting, oh, God, the pain is terrible. Oh, well, if you kind of occupied your mind and get up maybe and do something or distract yourself, mm. the pain becomes less. And that's the only way I can describe how I cope with things. Isn't that brilliant? Because I'm like my poor mother. I, I worry about everything from when I get up in the morning. And even if I can't find worries of my own, I'll find worries that somebody else has. Uh, friend, I understand that because I used to be like that years ago. I remember poor Dr. Spain, God be good to him. I went into him years ago and he said, you know something, if, you, if I put you out in the middle of a field and you had nothing to worry about, you'd worry because... You had yeah. nothing to worry about. And, and, and how did you get over that, Joe? I, I 
really don't know. I suppose I have to give myself a good talking to and say, look, it's like this is only going to do me harm. Yeah. All this worry is just going to bring on stress. It's going to bring on God knows what. So I just kind of go on with things and thought, well, fake it. If somebody tells me something that I have or whatever the situation, a problem of whatever, um, I just have to say, well, look, tomorrow will be a better day. Um, keep Just keep going to the best of your ability. It's a beautiful way to think, Joe, and I'll try and take that uh, on board. Uh, inspiring stuff from you as always. Look after yourself anyway, hey, Joe. When, you, when you're worried, you can ring me. I'll start your problems. <laughs> okay. I believe you would, Joe. I believe you would. Look after yourself, though. <laughs> bye-bye, Tina. Hey, you too, bye-bye. friend. Bye-bye. 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 That's uh, my friend J- Joe Noble speaking to us there. 1800-938-007. Now, Clonmel Remembrance Walk Group will host uh, coffee evenings this month at the Church of the Resurrection Hall. Uh, Feathered Road in Clonmel and it starts next Thursday to the best of my knowledge community activist Thomas Ryan joins me now Thomas good morning to you Thomas oh we don't have Thomas there do we okay we don't seem to have so maybe Emma you might uh, try that uh, again for me and we'll have a chat with uh, Thomas about uh, what's coming up there with the uh, Remembrance uh, Walk Um, uh, Mary was on to us to say Fran I'm listening to that lady and just tell her to follow the instructions and watch the straight line and get to a hospital as directed it will be the difference between blind and being able to see hemorrhage of the eye is very very serious matter indeed there you are now somebody else telling us uh, I'm waiting four years to see a pain specialist in Cork Uh, I keep Getting letters asking, do I still want to stay on the doctor's list? And my daughter waiting four years, excuse me, for an appointment in Waterford as well. Josie was on to say, I completely agree with uh, Joe talking there. The whole HSE system is crazy. I don't know what any consultants are doing. Some are great. And then more times you're waiting for years, says Josie. Um, what a tonic. She's cheered me up, says one of our listeners. Thanks, Joe. Well, she always cheers me up and she's just uh, fantastic. I think we have Thomas now. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you keeping? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you as always, Thomas. Um, yes, how are you? Tell, tell me about what's happening, Thomas. It's next Thursday, I think, is it? Yes, next yeah. Thursday. It's a little thing I kind of started there last. December. Mm. It's happening once a month. It's just to get people out of the house, meet and greet, and just to have a cup of coffee and say hello. We're all used to the coffee mornings. Mm. But no one, people don't think of people that are working and like to do something in the evenings. That's so we're going idea. to do a coffee evening. It's once a month. Yeah. And from next month onwards, there are going to be little teams where we're going to do kind of a, maybe like a Paris quiz, like get twos, coming twos, and you get, we'll do a little quiz one month. Uh, another month, we're going to do a little bit of crocheting. Right. And then uh, maybe May, June, we might look at doing something in regards to mental health on a little talk and getting people out and all that. So it's just something different. Yeah, and, that's a great idea. Uh, we were talking uh, to the Resurrection Father John, the parish priest of Peter and Paul's, is very good to us. Uh, very good to us for doing it. Uh, but the good news is we are in talks with the Celtiberry Involvement Centre mm-hmm. to move it into the town okay. and have it located. So uh, we should be, hopefully, in the next two or three months, that we will be down below in the Involvement Centre right. having the... Uh, having and, the and that would be easier coffee. for people to get to, I, I suppose. It in, would be. In the meantime, it be, it's yeah. the Church of the Resurrection Hall on the Feather yes. Road, Clonmel, isn't that right? Church of the Resurrection Hall next, next week... Uh, Donation of two euro and the little bit of money that's raised out of it will just go to the hall for the upkeep and all that. Because it's a great little hall and it's a great little uh, 
community area for people to go. Like they have a great little thing there. So it's just a meet and greet, have a laugh and joke, but have a little bit of music on the background. We might put them on your own songs, and uh, it's, it's, it's just to get people out of the house and just to say hello to people and I all that. Everyone is welcome, no matter who they are. And and I was just going to ask you about that. Is there any particular criteria or anybody no. from whatever background? No. No particular criteria. You can be anyone. You can be the oldest person to the youngest person. You're more than welcome. Uh, to come over, it's I said it's open to everyone, and it's just to, it's just to meet and greet people and just get people out in, in the evenings. The fine weather now is starting to come in, and that so we just get going again. Yeah. Just... I, I think it's a, a lovely idea indeed. Mm. And from your community activism, are, are you aware that people might need this kind of outlet? Thomas? Yes, yes, I have been trying. I have been it's something we kind of looked at over the last couple of years, especially now that we're we're out of COVID and all that. I think it's nice just to show people that. There's going to be something there once a month, or maybe twice a month, however good it goes, and we'll see, like, it's going to be there for you, like, come down, have a chat, bring your friends, and as I said, we will have different teams, so it's not just going to be meeting reason around. Mm. We'll do quizzes, we'll do uh, the crocheting, we'll do little kind of uh, little seminars, and with that then, just maybe a little bit of a, perhaps just a little bit of art and meditation and all that as well, and get some of the people around the town involved in So anyone out there listening, or anyone around the county that's listening, and mm. maybe would like to offer services of doing a bit of mindfulness or come over and do a bit of Reiki or something like that or group kind of session, they're more welcome to contact me. I, 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 I love table. what's on the poster as well. You're saying all, all ideas will be welcomed. In, in other words, yeah. you haven't made up your mind on this fully. People can contribute to what they think should happen at these. Is that oh, it? Yes, yeah, that's, that's it. That is it. Yeah. I said, this is, going to be, this is going to be for everyone. It's not going to be closed to one group or one person making all decisions. I want people to come up and make it their yes. kind of coffee, even and not not like me coming down and saying, okay, we're doing this this month, we're doing that that month. And uh, but as I said we have one lady already that wants to do crocheting with us. Okay. So she's and she's a fantastic crocheter. Uh, that's my my good friend Karina. Uh, she's a great crocheter and, and she loves uh makes up blowing the pieces and all that. So she'll show herself to start off doing this crocheting and we'll probably do it once or twice a month. So we're open to all ideas and we just need to get numbers and get people off ground right. as well. And do you, and do you want people to register with you, Thomas, ahead of this? Or how does that work? No, no, they can just come up and if you want to give me the ideas, I'd have the paper there. And as I said, uh, we can do it. But as I said, we will be holding in the resurrection, Church of Resurrection, the time being, on the such time that we have the talks all done with and we move, hopefully, to the involvement centre in Plainsview, in mm. Connell, in oh. the council streets. Very good indeed. Well, we wish yes. you well and we'll keep plugging this for you, Thomas. Always good, good to talk to you. Much, much Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye bye to you now. Bye-bye. That's uh, Thomas Ryan there. Thomas is a community activist and part of the Clanmel Remembrance Walk group and they're hosting that uh, coffee evening. It's beginning next Thursday, this day week, the 16th. Uh, between half past seven and uh, nine o'clock. Admission is just two euro there and proceeds to the upkeep of the community hall at the Church of uh, the Resurrection. Fran, I got blood tests uh, three weeks ago. I was waiting on results so I could make a follow-up appointment with the doctor. I heard absolutely nothing back. I had to ring myself yesterday. They're sitting in the surgery office. Nobody bothered to ring me. The GP surgeries are seriously gone beyond useless, says one of our listeners at this uh, particular point. Uh, Just to remind you again that uh, tomorrow on the show, a very popular slot over the years, we'll be talking about dream analysis and we'll be speaking to uh, Robert Williams, who I'm told is a professional 
in that sphere. And if you have a dream that you'd like to have analysed or if you want to make a point about this, or if you want to talk to us about recurring dreams or dreams that mean a lot to you, you might like to email us with your experience. Tip today at tipfm.com. You can WhatsApp and text 083-311-3311 or indeed you can leave us a voice note. Now, if you leave us a voice note, it's a tacit agreement that we can broadcast that on air. Is that okay? That's it for me. Emma produced Ali looks after her content. Stevens on the way to drag us kicking and screaming back down memory lane. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie